Welcome back, everybody, to the Seeker Weapon Podcast. Um, this is episode six, and um, I just wanted to come on before we get into everything today. Our podcast is going to be split into two parts. Uh, at the top of the podcast, we have a special guest on today. Uh, his name's Corey, uh, Corey Tulaba. I think I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, he's coming on today to you know be our draft expert, NBA draft expert. So we'll be doing a quick segment with him, or not a quick segment, but a segment with him where we'll be getting some information um, and some knowledge uh, from him on the NBA draft. And uh, he's from thehardwoodherald.com. So we're really excited to have him on. And then at the tail end, uh, Andrew will be joining me and uh, he'll be talking about some stuff that uh, should be a lot of fun, stuff that he's been wanting to talk about for some time. And so uh, we hope you guys are excited. And uh, here's, uh, we're going to hand it over to Michael Scott. Okay, so let's put together a starting lineup, shall we? This might be kind of fun. There it is. Secret weapon! Swish, swish, swish. Nothing but that. What? You gotta be kidding me! All right, uh, we had some uh, technical difficulties at the top, but uh, we're gonna run this one back. I, I just want to say once again, it's such an honor for me, especially me. Uh, I know Andrew, he's going to come on later and he's going to give me some crap about being a draft nerd because I'm a Nick fan, but it is such an honor for us to have Corey on today. Corey is a huge draft expert. Uh, he's got an awesome channel on YouTube where he breaks down uh, the draft prospects, like almost like no one, no one I'm no one else I'm seeing online. Honestly, the work you're doing is freaking awesome on all these draft prospects. Um, and so, yeah, before I keep going on and on and on, uh, I want to give Corey an opportunity to give us a little, about a, a little bit about his background, how he got into the draft. And then after that, uh, we'll just go from there. So uh, welcome, Corey. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored uh, to be a guest here. I'm excited to talk about the draft. Uh, yeah, so basically, um, like you said, I, I've been doing draft content for the last couple of years. And, you know, the, the draft has always been something that has been an event for me. I've always felt like it was, you know, a night upon itself, basketball's over. And then all of a sudden we get this huge night um, that just feels big. And, you know, my first draft memory when I was a little kid was probably from the 96 drafts. You know, you read magazines, you see the hype. There wasn't, you know, YouTube back then. So you couldn't really, uh, you know, go and check prospects out. But being from New York, you know, you, you have, a guy like Stefan Marbury in that draft and you know you're you're reading a, you know little little articles in a, in the newspaper and whatnot about him and then obviously that draft in and of itself was one of the the best ever so that was you know kind of my first memory and then my first memory that felt like very real was uh the I want to say it was the 2002 to 2003 drafts because uh, I was lucky enough to play basketball um, when I was a kid as, uh, for my AAU, like travel stuff for Jack Agostino, who had coached at Amityville high school. And there were a ton of, of pros who came through there, Mike James, AJ Price. And then probably the biggest like hyped up prospect that they had was this guy named Jason Frazier. And he ended up going to Villanova playing with, uh, like Kyle Lowry and that crew, but he, he hurt his knee, but he was a McDonald's all American as a senior. And because, you know, I kind of had the in with the, his coach, I, I got to go to the McDonald's game and, and the, the dunk contest. And, you know, I'm sitting at the dunk contest, I'm sitting behind and three point contest. I'm sitting behind JJ Reddick, uh, JJ Reddick's parents, wow. you know, as he's lighting the net on fire in the three point contest. So you had JJ Reddick, you had Carmelo, you had Chris Bosch, Amare. It was just, 
an absolutely unbelievable class. And, you know, that really brought such an interest for me to pay attention to college basketball. I grew up as a St. John's fan, my whole family, St. John's fans, you know, uh, almost like I was forced into that. But so I was really interested in, you know, Big East stuff. But outside of that, it, I, I didn't, I never really cared about college basketball outside mm-hmm. of just like the Big East. And uh, the draft kind of gave you a reason to follow it a little bit more closely. And as, you know, the world and the internet has evolved and YouTube mixes have come on, you know, I caught myself going through the years, you know, watching these highlight tapes and almost getting caught off guard because you're, it's almost like a mirage sometimes. Yeah. You're only seeing, you're only seeing the good. So I knew that when I wanted to do my own kind of draft coverage, I knew that I needed to show a clear picture of what this prospect's like. And, you know, I coach basketball myself. I've been coaching for a long time. I actually run film sessions and whatnot. So I knew that I could bring, you know, something to the table that a lot of people don't necessarily have. And it's not something that you need because if you just watch the game, you could still break it down. But I'm not, you know, I actually had the experience of doing it live. So I knew it was something that I was comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and scouting is a big part of coaching as well. So I knew that I had these, you know, little kind of advantages on some of the people out there that are doing it. And I also grew up in entertainment. I, I worked in music for 10 years. I, wow. you know, was a creative director at uh, like a skateboarding streetwear brand for, for that time as well. So I knew that not only did I have the basketball stuff, but I kind of had the creativity to go with it. And I figured, why not give it a shot? It's been a blessing. I just put out a magazine, which is a ridiculous thing that I never thought I would do in a million years. But um, it's here. I did it. It's been amazing, the response to it. And and this whole whole season, this off season, um, this whole draft season, as long as it's been, it's, it's been a, an amazing experience for myself. And mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot of opportunities and uh, cool things that um, have happened to me over this draft season that I'm, I'm really proud of. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful that people care and, and anybody watches these videos. Every time somebody comments or likes or whatever, I'm like taken back by it because, mm-hmm. you know, who am I? well Corey you know really quickly just going off of what you said I think the biggest thing that I've noticed from your channel is that there are definitely elements of everything that you talked about in terms of your past um if for the for our listeners out there if you haven't seen Corey's site yet or his YouTube channel you see a lot of your past in your videos you know it's really aesthetically pleasing you get like the retro 90s feel with all the colors and you know, with everything that you do, I think it's awesome. And I think the biggest thing that attracted me I, for, you know, I'll, I'll just be straightforward. I'm a big fan of your site, a big fan of your YouTube channel. I think the biggest thing that attracted me was what you just mentioned. I think the great thing about your breakdowns, videos of all these prospects is that we're not just seeing that mirage. We're not just seeing, you know, all their highlights and the things that they're good at and just like, you know, taking out snippets of, when they're playing well, but we, I think the best part of your videos is the weaknesses because I think the thing that excites me the most with the NBA draft is the volatility, right? We're talking about college kids who are coming into the NBA and we have some idea of what we think they might become because of what they've done in college, but we don't actually know. And so I think whether you're an NBA scout or just a casual fan like we are, or like Sorry, you're an expert, so we'll, we'll call you an expert, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, but I I'll mean, be, I'll be wrong about some stuff, I promise. Of course, right? <laughs> but I think wherever you are on that spectrum, I think it's important for us to be able to see the bad because, you know, it, it really comes down to these prospects. Are they going to continue to build upon their strengths and 
are they going to be able to correct their weaknesses? And so with all that being said, Corey, I think, you know, for me, I, I really got into the draft as like a quote unquote nerd in 06. Like for me, I remember watching grainy video of Paul Millsap in an empty gym, just working out and putting up shots. And I remember there was all this hype about Ray John Rondo and how, you know, he could be a lot more than what he was able to show in Kentucky. And so for me, Corey, the thing that I first I wanted to ask you if, you know, you've had some oh, a long time and a track record of going over these prospects. Who do you think um, really kind of shocked you the most in terms of the pro that they became uh, from like your time as an evaluator? Yeah. So I think the first, like the most glaring guy that has exceeded my expectations that, that I was wrong about was um, SGA, who's, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander. And when he's at Kentucky, and, and obviously now we have this track record of Kentucky players who have been able to show more than they were actually capable of, right. you know, at Kentucky. But I looked at like the volume of his three point shooting. And it was really low He shot, you know, a decent percentage, but it was on like one and a half attempts a game. I really like the rest of his game because he's shifty and he's got yeah. like a, 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 like his handle is, isn't just functional. He has shake, he has wiggle. And I like that about him, but I thought like, I didn't think he was going to be able to, uh, shoot it off the bounce as effectively as, as he has thus far. It's not that his form was wonky or anything like some of the prospects in this draft, but right. it was just slow and mechanical. And I, because of the low volume, I just didn't know if he'd be able to ha shoot it at a high enough volume that NBA teams and defenses weren't just going to be like, all right, you set a screen and we're going to go under every time. And until you be able, until you're able to beat, you know, prove that you could beat us that like that, what else are you going to be able to do? You know, I, I said some nice things. Like I think by year two, he'll be able to contribute to a team, but I mm -hmm. never thought that like, you know, he's now the building block in Oklahoma right. city. And uh, so he way exceeded my expectations. And now even when I go back, uh, you know, cause one of the things I like to do, if I am kind of off about a prospect, how do you get better at anything? You got to go see where you made your mistakes. And now I, I look back at it and I go, I just missed. I, 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 mm. I saw it wrong. I, I don't know why I saw it wrong because all of this stuff should have translated, but uh, he's probably the guy that I look to the most and say that I don't know why I didn't see it, mm. um, but I didn't. And I was wrong about him. And uh, I'm happy I, I was because uh, he's a fashion icon and he's a hell of a player. So <laughs> I'm a big Dude, fan. SGA, as you <laughs> mentioned, you know, great size too. I mean, he was a big guard, yeah. you know, and yeah. really, really good, really shifty, as you mentioned. Um, I, I think that's a really, really good one because I, I don't think you're the only one. I think a lot of people kind of, and there's a reason why he got, he got drafted where he got drafted as well. Right. Um, the one thing for me on the other end of the spectrum, a player that I was really wrong about in terms of I thought they were going to be fantastic. Back in 2012 when um, OKC made that Harden trade, and they got back a lot of pieces, right? And one of the pieces I thought that was going to be really, really good because I loved him in the NCAA tournament. I loved him at UConn with Jeremy Lamb. You know, I, to this day, yeah. I have this, he's that guy that I loved so much coming out of college because I felt like he had this quiet confidence to him. Like he wasn't like a super flashy player. You could tell like his demeanor on the court was a little, you know, he's a little reserved, mm -hmm. but prototypical size. It looked like yeah. his jump shot was going to, translate to the next level and he just hasn't figured that out and so I, I think so here, here's the thing Corey I feel like everyone is talking about this draft being so volatile right mm -hmm. we don't know you know what these players are going to become there aren't any quote-unquote bona fide superstars 
um, all these role players, we don't know what they're going to turn into. But ultimately, I think that is the beauty of the draft. And so when we consider that, right, the draft being so volatile and then taking maybe the most volatile draft we've had in years, I just feel like this is probably the most exciting draft we've had in a really long time, not to mention the fact that we've been in a pandemic too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the anticipation is outrageous at this point. And I feel like, because like you said, everything's so volatile and it feels like it's, I feel like for some people, it's almost immediately the draft is flattened out and all the prospects are as talented as the next. And, you know, you look at somebody's board and uh, you'll have a guy who's top three and then the next person has their board. The same guy is like 27th. And so the anticipation of just finally being able to see like, who was right, who was wrong. And then we can go back because we have all this extra time and, uh, you know, change our minds about things because it it almost feels like, what else are we going to do? And let's go rewatch stuff. I mean, I know myself, I have two like extensive LaMelo ball breakdowns because the first one I've, I've been, I'm not the biggest LaMelo fan. And, and I was like, you know what, like, am I wrong? You know, Mm -hmm. let me just go watch the games again. and, And let me see like, because everybody's saying that in the last couple of games, he, he was getting better. Do I remember that wrong? So I had to go back and watch. And then I came back, kind of, it reaffirmed my feelings to him uh, or of him. But it's just one of those things we've had so much time that yeah. it feels like sometimes people are just making changes for the sake of change. And then there's all of the group think that happens on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to yeah. you want to be, a, you don't, it's easy to be wrong when everybody's wrong. Um, so it's really interesting. Yeah, it's like I said, it, it feels like the balloon is about to burst finally. And, yeah. and uh, it's like, you know, you have like, it, it, it almost feels like when you eat such a heavy meal mm. and your jeans tighten up and you finally get home and you can put sweatpants on. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the feeling I feel like I'm about to get with, with the draft. Hey, Corey, I, I think what you're mentioning is like, it's rock solid because the, a lot of these guys haven't played in a game for like eight months now. And this is a really, really long period of time. And I think a lot of the evaluations that we're getting from scouts is from tape eight months ago. And something that's crazy is if you think about it for an 18, 19, 20 year old, a lot can change in eight months too. And I thought, you know, and later on, I'm going to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Maxey workout that we saw last Thursday. But so, so Corey, I was listening to the uh, Chad Ford uh, big board podcast earlier and, you know, he was talking about Obi Toppin. And I think Obi Toppin is a prospect for me that really falls into that window that you're talking about where it's been eight months now and he is all over the place in terms of board draft boards for teams and scouts and whatever. Uh, there are some teams that actually have him as the number one prospect. Uh, the guest that Chad Ford had, I think his name's like Tony Jones, but he had Obi Toppin as his number one prospect. And then there are a lot of teams that don't see, like Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer doesn't even have Obi Toppin going in the top 10 in the mock draft that he dropped today. And so if you can, like I have, I've seen some people mock Obi Toppin to the Knicks. And for me personally, I am not too excited about that because he's a prospect that I'm not super hype on. But if you could pitch us a little bit on Obi Toppin, that'd be great because I don't know how I feel. Yeah. So I, I mean, I actually think that if Obi falls to eight and then, and, depending on who else is still on the board, obviously, because I think there are some better options for the Knicks. But if he was the best option for them, I think my selling point would be, look, if you're worried about his defense, if you're a buyer 
with Mitchell Robinson. Mm-hmm. Mitchell Robinson's a guy that'll cover for his weakness. And offensively, they kind of complement each other because yeah. although Obi does a lot of damage down low, he is a guy that you're going to play out on the perimeter in pick and pop. He is a guy that is an excellent passer in the short roll. So he's going to be able to make plays for other people. And if you pair him with a pick and roll player, maybe that is RJ Barrett. Maybe it's, you know, another guard that the Knicks end up uh, acquiring, but he's a guy that offensively at his position is kind of like, you know, the total package. He's not Mm -hmm. necessarily going to face you up and take you off the dribble one-on-one a ton because his handle is a little sloppy. Yeah. It's sloppy. It's not, I I don't think it's poor, but it's not something you want him doing all the time. A lot of times he'll, he'll get to his spot, put his back to the basket. And he has such good touch around the hoop that he'll be able to make you pay that way. Um, And then, so offensively, I don't think there should be really any concern for, for any team because I kind of think that he's going to be a scorer and, and, and really effective. And if you pair him with the right point guard or, or pick and roll partner, he's going to be absolutely devastating. Mm. And like I said, defensively, you know, that's where the concerns are, right? Because it, outside of the fact that he's a little older, you know, he's 22, yeah. almost 23. Um, and the ages are wonky for this draft because like, right. you know, the draft is extended, but you know, he was going to be an old, player regardless of when this draft was held so right. there's that but he has a you know kind of a weird uh situation he redshirted it's only his second year he grew mm-hmm. a ton so he's kind of on a different trajectory than your typical 22 year old right but the, the defensive concerns are real you know he's got tight hips he can't really right. get down into a stance and use that kind of athleticism that you see on the offensive end the same way um on the defensive end and then, you know, I know some people are high on him saying, oh, all right, well, maybe if he's not going to be able to guard the perimeter, he'll be able to protect the rim because he's athletic. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm probably somewhat buying that argument a little bit. He'll, I think he'll get some raw block numbers, but, you know, right. he definitely has to work on his awareness and his team defense. A lot of times he's, he gets caught kind of sleeping and being unaware. So there are definitely moments. And, and that's the thing about when you have a defensive weakness, right? In mm-hmm. a situation like this, what are you doing to improve your defensive weaknesses Right. one there's not like yeah I, I know there are some scrimmages and he's training with Chris Brickley so I'm sure he's playing against NBA mm-hmm. pros which you're probably thinking that's that's probably a pro for him yeah. uh instead of a con but it, it's hard to work on your defense and you know when you're training you, you exactly. need to to have full speed like actual game reps to to work on your your defense at least your team defense to to the point where you're going to need to on an NBA level. But I, I think he's one of, uh, at least immediately, I think he's one of the safer guys that you look mm-hmm. at and it's like, all right, he's contributing in a, in a, I guess a positive way. I think a lot of these rookies are going to contribute overall in a negative way because they're rookies and rookies typically don't come out of the gates swinging, you know, the, the same yeah. way you, you want them to. Uh, and especially with the layoff, but that, that would be my selling point that the offense mm-hmm. is going to click and uh, you know, depending on who he's paired with in the front court, maybe they can make up for his weaknesses. Mm. So, okay, dang. I, I, I think that's a really good argument. I think for me and my evaluation of Obi Toppin, I find myself kind of like in between a rock and a hard place just because I feel like when we, th- when we talk about the quote unquote modern NBA, right? You want yep. guys who can guard multiple positions and stuff like that. You, you know, a lot of teams, they try to play small ball. Um, the interesting thing with Toppin though, as you mentioned, I think there's like, there might be some potential for him to play some small ball five. Um, but then when we look at, this past championship, the Lakers, they played a lot of bigs and they mm-hmm. really went to work with their bigs with, you know, Dwight, I thought was huge in the, in that series against the Nuggets. Right. And he was a really important part of what they did. And then they have AD, they have LeBron. And so I think like, I hear you and I agree with everything that you're saying. It's just like, I think there is that kind of 
that gray area where he's maybe not like going to be rock solid defensively as a four and then like as a small ball five like yeah maybe he'll get some blocks because of the sheer athleticism but then as you mentioned and even that I saw in your videos the awareness is is an issue for sure and then his tight hips and all those things and so yeah man I, I feel like and then going back to his age too right like back when Dame Lillard got drafted a lot of people missed on him just because of his age right they were like oh, yeah, yeah this kid four-year player at Weber State you know he's older and then some people were like in, in the same draft was Austin Rivers and they were like you know Austin Rivers you get another three years of development and he can become blah 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 but so I think there's a part of me that goes like man what if I'm just putting him lower in terms of like my own board just because he's older and then if I miss on that like a lot of people missed on Dame Lillard then you're kind of kicking yourself but I definitely hear you man I think you're rock solid on that and I think you know with that with that with there being like that whole eight month gap eight month gap on the other end of the spectrum where people are being harsh on Obi Top and I think a lot of people are elevating players like Akira Lewis Jr. or a Tyrell Terry and a lot of these smaller guards who have a lot of shooting chops and can do a lot of things with the ball and so I, I wanted you know as I asked you to kind of pump up Obi Toppin for me how do you feel about guys like Kira Lewis and Tyrell Terry because you know even when they talk about Tyrell Terry they talk about the fact that he's added 15-20 pounds of muscle he's you know grown another inch but at the same time it's like these guys have been locked in a gym for the last six months and of course they're going to add muscle. Right. And so <laughs> do you feel like maybe those types of like measurables that are, are, you know, being added as pluses to these players, do you think that's fair? And do you feel like maybe we're over evaluating players like Kira Lewis or Tyrell Terry? Well, speak, uh, I'll touch on, on uh, Lewis first, because yeah. I feel like I've been the, the biggest driver of the uh, Kyra Lewis jr. Bandwagon. I, the I love first him time I watched him. The, the first time I, I watched him, I tweeted out, I was like, can somebody explain to me why this dude is not a lock to go in the lottery? And this was, I, I don't even know how long ago this was. And, you know, even to, I, I think recently in some of the bigger mocks, he's been kind of pushing more towards that top 10. But I, I just looked at his game and I said, this is everything you want in like an NBA prospect for this draft that maybe is on the weaker end of, mm -hmm. you know, what you're looking for. As far as one, he has an elite skill. He's probably the the most functionally fast guard in the draft um he he's not a guy that is like rj hampton who's probably equally as fast in the open court but he's what you don't raw. know what you're going to get out of him as, as he's very raw you know kyra is a little bit more polished and you know maybe he has the benefit of being a, a sophomore but it's not like he's an old sophomore like we saw with obi as a uh, as a very old sophomore who is, you know, the, the older than some seniors, Kyra is younger than some of the freshmen. Uh, because he wasn't even old enough to be drafted last year. Right. So, you know, and, and he improved so much. Uh, people talk about his decision-making, but I think that's a worry with almost every guard in the draft. Uh, and I, I think for some reason, people harp on his decision-making more than other people. And I think that that's, just I don't think it's right uh he's mm -hmm. he's I have him fifth I have him fifth on my big board I'm super high on him he's he's a guy that could shoot it he's he shot almost 37 percent from three and that's not just catch and shoot that's him doing it off the bounce so it's not like you could just go under on his screens if you go under he's gonna pop it if you go and you chase him over a screen he's gonna beat you to the to the hole and in mm -hmm. an NBA system where he's you know probably gonna have more space and with shooters ideally at least I look at him and I go, he's a kid who's going to have success in, in the league. So for me, 
uh, he is like a, a no brainer, like thumbs up, like whoever drafts him, I think that you're going to get uh, a very, very good player who fits the modern NBA. Tyrell is another guy that I love. I think I have him at about 13 on my, on my big board. Um, you know, again, I, I actually buy into the extra time helping both of these guys, you know, you right. look at, cause one of the thing with Tyrell Terry beyond the fact that he's just like an incredibly smart kid who, you know, reportedly broke, you know, all the IQ tests and whatnot. Yeah. And that's not good enough to, to make you a good player, but obviously he's skilled on top of it. His shot is very real. He could shoot it yeah. from distance in every which way he could play on ball, off ball. I think that he didn't play as much on ball as you, as he will possibly in the NBA. So he's got mm -hmm. a little bit more pick and roll ability than he showed. And the, the lower the lower assist numbers don't actually show the kind of passer that he could be. And yeah. especially with the fact that, you know, you're going to have to hard close on him defensively and he's going to be able to get into the paint that way and guys are going to collapse the defense. But his, his athleticism has improved so tremendously yeah. that that's the kind of – it's not like, you know, he just – put on muscle like he put on muscle and worked on his body but it's functional it, it's gonna matter you know they they posted a video yesterday of him effortlessly throwing a between the legs dunk down you know and and look there's so much you can take from stuff like that yeah but when you, it's noticeable that his athleticism has has improved so much that says something because it shows that he's an incredibly hard worker he's working on the right things and it and obviously that's going to help him and it's not like he was a bad finisher to begin with he was already a very good finisher who's crafty and does up and unders and and he'll go into your body and and finish and he, he'll carry the ball like a football so he doesn't lose it and so i i'm i'm very uh very into both of those guys being productive pros and it wouldn't shock me if either of those guys were you know landing on the right team were some of the better players that come out of this draft, even though, mm. you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to be the first guys taken. I, I think both of them, you know, they're, I, I think Kyra, I think his sweet spot is probably going to be in the eight to like 13, 14 range. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Tyrell, you're probably looking, maybe the Suns get a little crazy at 10, but, yeah. but outside of that, I think you're probably looking at, you know, maybe 15 at Orlando to like, you know, the 21, 22 range where wherever Philly's at, uh, I think that's probably his sweet spot. But again, if, if either of those guys went higher than where they're projected, I think that that would be, you know, smart of, of those teams. Cause I think they're, they're the kind of guys that fit into what you want as a, mm. you know, as NBA players. No, yeah. uh, dude, I, for me, like not to toot my own horn, but I think back since like <laughs> February or March, I've been telling all my friends and even on Twitter, I've been saying like, Tyrell Terry is the exact type of prospect that is going to benefit the most from this type of gap, just because the more you watch his tape, I think the more people will fall in love with him. Because as you mentioned, the jump shot and the shot making is legit. And as you mentioned, I think the underrated aspect of his game is I think he's a better passer than people realize. And it could be a system thing. It could be a lot. There are so many different factors as to why he wasn't able to show that off. And, you know, when you watch him, there are little, you know, you, you get a little flavor of Trey Young. Not to say that they're, you know, gonna, he's going to be the same type of player. I don't think so at all. But he's taller, right? A little bit more athletic, I think, in terms of, like, verticality. Yeah. Um, and the jump shot is real. And he shot consistently from behind NBA range in, in, in you know, in college. And so, and not to, men, not to say that, you know, he's going to go in the top five or anything. But I, I was really starting to feel, like, after watching his tape for a while, there could be a team that reaches for him in the top 10. And so mm -hmm. um, even Kevin O'Connor, I think in his mock draft today, he had him going 10 to 
um, or actually maybe it was Kira Lewis going 10. But anyway, I just feel yeah. like he's a prospect that is going to surprise people on draft day and end up going a little bit higher than people expect. And, and so honestly, Corey, as you're talking about all this, I'm just getting excited as a Nick fan because for us sitting at number eight, whether it's a Toppin or a, a Abdia or a Killian Hayes or what, and you know, these are prospects we haven't even mentioned yet, but sitting at eight and with all the weird draft boards that are out there, I think we're in a prime position to grab somebody who's going to fall to us or a prospect that we just love. And I think, you know, I'm just going to defend myself a little bit as a Nick fan because we got so much hate from the big media, you know, uh, outlets, right? ESPN and whoever, they're all like, oh, poor Nick fans. They wanted the topic and they ended up at number eight. <laughs> but in a draft like this where everything's so volatile, I think eight is a perfect spot to be in. And so once again, I just feel like this is a beautiful spot for us to be in. And I'm really, really excited, you know, and I, it's, a, it's a good spot, whether it's Kira Lewis. And I feel like, so really quickly, Corey, I think this, the, the, the fit of Kira Lewis next to RJ is perfect because I think RJ in a perfect world is maximized as a secondary ball handler. And so if you can just make me feel better, uh, how, how would that fit look like if we were to get Kira Lewis at number eight? He's my, I've done uh, some other Nick, you know, related stuff recently. He's the number mm-hmm. one guy. I think the Knicks should, should take wow. if they get an opportunity uh, to draft him. I mean, obviously if, for some reason, one of the top three guys drops, you obviously have some tougher decisions to make mm-hmm. and, and who knows with this draft, but in, in a realistic world that we're living in with no trade downs, no weird stuff happening, Kyra is the number one guy. I think that the Knicks should, should go after because, you know, just outside of the position of need, because I'm not a, a, a big, you know, need guy. Yeah. Um, if I get the best player that you can, especially in a draft like this, uh, don't reach for a guy who's just fitting your team better if they're a better player. But Kyra is a guy that I also believe is a total Tom Thibodeau point guard. Yeah. If you look at the history of Tibbs point guards, it's Derek Rose, Nate Robinson, John Lucas, the third DJ Augustine, Augustine yep. uh, Jeff Teague. I mean, all of these kind of quick, fast guards who could kind of, you know, are are primarily score first, but are also, you know, kind of, you know, pretty decent playmakers themselves, but he just seems to get the most out of these guys and he Mm -hmm. seems to have success with them. And Kyra's got little bits and pieces of a lot of those guys, you know, he's kind of got, obviously Derek Rose was a, a generational talent from an athletic athleticism standpoint. So I'm not saying that Kyra is as fast as Derek was or has as tight a handle, but, he's got the speed that you want in, you know, in this league comparable to say, I don't know, like Kobe White, Darren Fox. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something like that. Um, So maybe not Derek Rose level, but well above average, even in the NBA, he's got the shot making that you see from, you know, uh, Nate Robinson or DJ Augustine who, who were, you know, shooters at at the same token. Um, And, you know, he's a terrific passer. And and I think that, like you said, like you're pairing him with RJ, you got both guys who can handle the ball and make plays. It allows RJ to to have the ball and letting Kyra, you know, catch and shoot where he's going to be an excellent catch and shoot player getting some reps there, which will help him. Um, And, you know, I, I think that if you look at RJ Barrett and you say, well, where did this guy like really thrive at Duke and where it was in transition and, what better way than to get a guy like Kyra Lewis, who was a you know pretty decent rebounder, who can get it himself, and you're playing him with a great re- rebounder and like Mitchell Robinson, so get the ball, go, and then Art, him and R.J. Barrett can just 
get out on the break and kind of lead the break is both playmakers and, and finishers themselves. So I, I, man, to me, if the Knicks walked away with Kyra Lewis Jr., I would be so happy for, for, you know, all my Knicks fans, uh, brethren mm-hmm. out there. <laughs> I, I definitely agree. <laughs> I think, I think there is some scarring though, just because we have, if you look at our current roster, we've got a guard, uh, he's a little smaller, uh, he's got blazing <laughs> speed, uh, but you know, he hasn't been able to put it together in Dennis Smith Jr. And I think there's, you know, some pain there. But I think for me personally, from what I've seen from Kira Lewis Jr., I think the biggest difference between him and Dennis Smith Jr. is that I think Kira Lewis is a much better shooter than Dennis Smith was uh, coming out of college. I think Dennis Smith is still really struggling with that jump shot. And so I think uh, I definitely feel a lot better after hearing your evaluation too. And just from what I've seen as well. Um, So it's really, really interesting. But, um, you know, Corey, I I think it's something that I wanted to ask you next we've had a crazy season obviously and a lot of teams were in the bubble and I feel like for the teams who are in the bubble I really do wonder how prepared they'll be now of course these are professional organizations they've got scouts too but I do feel like the reason why we're seeing such a a wide you know volatility or variation in terms of these draft boards is also because for the teams that were locked up in the bubble they were really focused on making that work and so do you feel like that – now, this, is, this might be a silly question, but do you feel like there are just going to be some teams that have done more homework and that are just straight up better prepared for this draft? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that just rings true from the good organizations in general. I mean, a, a lot of the, the teams that made it far enough in the bubble to kind of matter, I mean, they're the, yeah. the teams that are going to have those back-end picks, and I think those – I think there's so many good players there that yeah. a lot of these, a lot of these teams are going to be able to just get good players in the back that, that fall. Um, if they did even a modicum of homework. Now, mm-hmm. I think that if a team kind of doesn't do their, their homework the same way another team does, maybe they're willing to reach for some of the more high risk guys and are, and if they are that they're probably okay with possibly throwing uh you know, their, their pick away in that regard, because it's either boom or bust, but I don't know. I I feel like we have had so much time that Mm -hmm. all of these teams are just kind of like, by the time that the bubble happened, they might've just been like, we're, we already made our decision. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like what else is there to learn? Like, you know, obviously uh, I I think for me, the, the only things that'll change it from that point to now is how many teams could see kind of the the virtual combines, the pro days, talking to different guys who are able to go to different spots and see these guys in person and meet them and what kind of intel they're getting from there. But even then, you know, it's a, it's a crapshoot because it's all, you know, it's all people with their own agendas anyway, mm-hmm. uh, saying what they want it, you know, right. giving out what they want. So I, yeah, I, you know, look, the good teams are going to do well. The bad teams yeah. aren't. That's, that's the history of it. And we've had so much time that, you know, teams are either going to overthink it and, and, you know, shoot themselves in the foot that way or you know they're they're not and uh that's why this draft is fun though because it's going to be interesting to see how it happens I I don't know I think these these teams at the end I think they're going to be more willing to take some of the you know older guys in the first round where normally they'd slip to the second round I think they might be willing to do that you know Mm -hmm. instead of taking a risk on some of these guys that they haven't seen playing so long and are going to be raw and uh Cause the thing is when you, when you look at a lot of these videos with the trainers, like on Instagram and whatnot, like mm-hmm. I, I don't know how honest a lot of these trainers are with these players on yeah. what they need to improve on because 
for me, a lot of these videos I see, I go, well, that's, that's not what they should be working on. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they're not improving on their, the thing that's going to help them in the NBA. Right. Um, so, you know, who knows, who, who knows what, you know, these players are working on these young guys and, and maybe the more proven guys who are, have that body of work, it might be the way to go for these teams at the bottom. Dude, I think with what you're saying, I think the perfect prospect that kind of falls into that, that space that you're talking about is JD McDaniels. I think there yeah. are going to be a lot of teams that are going to look at him and be like, this guy is just a wild card. There's no way to really know what this guy's going to look like. And he might be someone that actually falls in the draft uh, rather than moves up because I think he's a super high upside type of guy. But at the same time, there's a lot of bad tape on him from, you know, his time at, at Washington. And also, you know, he's, we just don't know what we're going to get. And I think that'll be interesting. And then at the same time, Corey, do you feel like the Euro prospects or the foreign prospects are also suffering a little bit because of that? Because, I mean, guys like Denny Abdia are kind of, you know, jumping up the board right now. But then like Pokashevsky, I don't know if I'm saying that right. But he's kind of yeah, all over the floor. Yeah, and then Balmaro and all these like Euro guys that kind of seem all over the place. So you feel like maybe the Euro guys are getting affected a little bit? I think it's kind of a case-by-case -case situation. I think Balmaro, there's more tape on him and he's been playing more recently. I think a guy like Poku, who it's just a mystery in general because even the tape that he had during his season, it's not like he was playing in the Euro right. League like some right. of these other guys were – He's playing in this league, the same league that Giannis played in. And literally, when you watch the games, you go, what the hell am I watching? Like, I, I don't know. It's hard to analyze it because it's like, yeah, it worked out for Giannis. But Giannis grew to seven feet tall and put on, like, a thousand pounds of muscle. And, right. like, he's just a freak. Like, he's the Greek freak. He's a freak. He's, not, he's an outlier. He's not, you know, the template that everybody can follow. Correct. Um, Poco also he he already has you know the the height um and he's long and he's got some fun skills to work with uh and I'm I'm sure that his body is going to fill out he's young mm -hmm. and he's and I mean a lot of his skills you know the way he comes off screens at that at his size and is able to shoot even though he he didn't hit a ton of shots it looks fluid so that almost matters more to me um right. and his passing chops are legitimate he is a mm -hmm. sick passer but, you know, he's also – it's like you played in this horrible league that looks like my men's league games, um, and you couldn't get to the free throw line, and, like, yeah. you know, you weren't, like, dominant, dominant. So it, it, it's – for a guy like him, it's definitely a weird situation, especially because nobody's really heard much from him or seen right. him in actual meaningful situations. But other guys like Balmero, I think it's actually uh, – it benefits him because he's been playing in yeah. – overseas where some of these college guys haven't so I think that it's all case by case and um yeah so I, I think the interna international guys you know it's it, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but uh it's uh definitely not the same for all of them yeah yeah I hear you I mean Avdi has the same thing right Avdi has been able yeah. to play he played recently Killian Hayes hasn't but at the same time interestingly enough Hayes is moving up boards right and people are you know mocking him even, you know, some people have mentioned that the Warriors are interested in him, and I think that could be pretty cool. But, Corey, I did want to ask, for me, when I watch Avdia, like, I've heard this before, but for me, I really feel this way. Because when I watch, so we should remember, Mario Hazonia went number five in the draft. And Hazonia was a Nick for a little bit. And when you go back and watch Hazonia's tape, like, when he was playing for Barcelona, he was 
a really good player and an important player and getting like heavy minutes. And he looked like he was going to be a star. And the weird thing with Hizonia even now is when you watch him take a jump shot, like mechanically, like I can't find a flaw in his jump shot, <laughs> but for whatever reason, he's never been an above 40% like three point shooter. Right. And so when I watch Abdia, like I get a little bit of that because his jump shot looks fantastic. And yet the numbers weren't great. Um, and at the same time, he had, he's not playing at the level that um, Hizonia was when he was playing in Spain. And so what would you say for the people out there who are doubting Avdia a little bit? I actually, I love Denny. Uh, he's, he's the guy that I would love the Bulls to draft um, in a realistic scenario. Oh. So I think the difference between Denny and Hizonia is that Denny can also not be a guy that you need to be a star. Like, okay. you know, he, you're, you're right. Like he did, like, if you go back and watch Hazonia, he did kind of have that star appeal. He had the athleticism, the, the you know, the, the flashy dunks, the shooting, whatever. Uh, even though, you know, his numbers weren't like, you know, excellent there. The, the EuroLeague numbers are so hard to, to yeah. gouge so, so much of the time. Not, not everybody's Luca, and, and even Luca, people had doubts about. So mm-hmm. the numbers are, are, are whatever, but you know, Denny has shown that he's able to take like the Israeli team um, and have this large role and kind of lead them and do, you know, all of the things and the skills that people covet from him, which is handle the ball, run, pick and roll, be a playmaker, get, grab a board. Um, And then he's also proven to, you know, in one of the better leagues in the world to be able to play, be a role player and kind of just fit in with a team and not necessarily have to be a star. And I think with Denny, it's about expectation. If you were looking at Denny and you go, this is the next Luca, then I think you're going to be disappointed because nobody's going to be the next Luca for, you know, the next 10 to 15 years more, you know, most likely, you know, he's one of those guys that doesn't come along very often. Uh, But if you're looking at Denny and you go, this is a guy who's going to help a team for a really long time. He's so competitive. You know, he, mm. he brings a lot to the table. And, and a lot of times I'm not a Jack of all trades, master of none kind of guy, but I do think at his height, his passing ability is real. I don't, I'm not worried about his shot. I think he showed when he restarted his season uh, that he was able to make improvements on it. And he's just a hard worker competitor and he's won at every level that he's played at. And, mm. um, I think that if you, if you're a team that is like, is this guy going to be a piece of the team that helps us get better? Then I think Mm. he's a guy that you're going to be happy with. Again, if you think he's going to be Luca or, you know, insert X superstar here, you're going to, you're going to be disappointed. So it's all about expectations. I'm not expecting him to be a superstar. Mm. Do I, I think he's the kind of guy that like, you know, he'll, he can potentially make, you know, three all-star games if he like absolutely topped out um maybe like a third team all nba in his one best season but he's probably going to be a guy that teeters on that all-star level and uh but you look at his stats and while they might not pop he's a guy that's on a ton of good teams that you know make playoff runs and and i think that's valuable even if he doesn't get all of the accolades that you know people want to place on these uh prospects so early on in their careers right uh, I, I think the, the, what you're saying is awesome because a lot of times I think with uh, where you're drafted in the draft, I think a lot yeah. of times that kind of sets the standard or the expectation. Um, but Corey, I'm going to throw a curveball at you because when you were talking about Denny, you're talking about, you know, uh, Jack of all trades types of guys. And yeah. I think in this draft, one of the players, so I want to kind of ask you to do a comparison because 
Interestingly enough, I feel like Cole Anthony, when he was coming into college, he was one of the top prospects. And yep. a lot of mock drafts, if we go back a year ago, those early mock drafts had Cole Anthony going in the top five. And now we're looking at Cole Anthony being mocked in the 20s and 30s, second round, right? Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have a Tyrese Halliburton. And Tyrese Halliburton, if you watch him, the dude can do, as you mentioned, pretty much everything on the court, right? He's a fantastic passer. He can shoot a little bit. I mean, the mechanics on his jump shot I, are really, really strange, for sure. But for me, I think it's still shocking that teams aren't evaluating Cole Anthony as highly as I sometimes think he should. Now, I, I don't think he's going to be some superstar. But at the same time, he played on a pretty bad UNC team. Um, this is a guy with some real athleticism. I think, you know, it, so just as an example, Doncic is like a low 30s, mid 30s three-point shooter. He just has confidence, though, you know? there He has the balls to take these shots, and he shoots them with confidence, so he's a threat to a defender. And I think Cole Anthony in that way, too, is maybe he won't be a 40% three-point shooter, but we know he's going to have the confidence to take them, and I think he's going to make enough to be a threat. And so I just feel like that the dichotomy between those two prospects is really interesting in the way that teams are evaluating them. How do you evaluate Halliburton versus Cole Anthony? I honestly, I actually have them right around the same tier, um, wow. which is, you know, honestly, Cole, I would have higher if I had confidence that again, with expectations that he himself would, I think have, you know, kind of real ex realistic expectations for what I think his best chance at success in the NBA is. I'm not saying that he shouldn't strive to be that kind of superstar hyped up prospect that yeah. he, you know, was hyped up to be coming into his freshman year. Right. Obviously he should. And if he can, you know, become that player, yeah. if, you, if you draft him where he's going to get drafted, that's a major win for your franchise. But uh, the kind of guy, like if he thinks he's a superstar, mm -hmm. but a team doesn't believe that there's going to be this push and pull that's going to be a negative for him. Yeah. And I think at worst case for him, he's going to be a guy that should be an awesome like microwave guy off the bench, mm -hmm. but he can also be a solid starter. It's just, is he okay being a solid starter? Like, is he okay being the Eric Bledsoe mm -hmm. versus does he want to be, you know, Dame, Dame Lillard? Yeah. You know, because he certainly has some of the tools uh, to do that. And like you said, his situation was so, so bad, <laughs> you yeah. know, in, in North Carolina. Um, and on top of it, he got injured. So, you know, that obviously messes things up too. And when you saw him at his best, you know, he looked excellent. And yeah. I think he's a much better passer than given credit for. But it's just, you know, I don't know him well enough to say, is he mm -hmm. going to be able to set a realistic bar? Because his position is loaded in the league. So, mm -hmm. like, even if he tops right. out, he still might not be one of the top five point guards because it's absurd how good the talent is. Um, with Halliburton, uh, you know, I love everything about him as a player and a, every player should like strive to be the kind of kid that he is and the way that he plays. But I just look at his handle and I go, he's not going to be able to break anybody down off the dribble. So again, expectations, if you're drafting him, are you thinking he is now my primary playmaker and my point guard position is set and that's it. And if you're thinking that, I think you're going to be really disappointed because he doesn't have the shake and the, you know, he, he's like functional ball handler but he's yes. not going to break you down off the dribble. And like you said, his shot is wonky. So he's going to, he's going to shoot a very high percentage 
on catch and shoot jumpers, but he's not going to be able to, you know, knock down shots with a hand in his face consistently more than likely, at least not for a while. You know, it's, he's not a guy you can go under on because if you go mm-hmm. under, he's going to have space and time to let it fly and he's going to hit it. You know, as weird as it looks, he's, right. it's, it's smooth, but he's, he's a guy that if he could go to say Atlanta and mm-hmm. play off of Trey young, now, I per- I've heard that his people wouldn't want him to go there, but um, but that kind of situation would be great, which is why if the Warriors had, had dropped, mm-hmm. I thought that would be the perfect spot for him because he'd almost be a modern like version of Sean Livingston who could do a lot right. of the same things, play off of Steph, handle the ball sometimes, play pick and roll, make plays, high IQ, but not have the pressure of running the entire offense the entire game. So if you could make him kind of uh, – a one and a half, not quite a one, not quite a two, then I think that's, you know, his bread and butter. That's his sweet spot. I just don't know if a team that drafts him is going to put him in that role. So right. that's why his outcome to me is iffy too, because if he gets put in the right situation, he's going to look awesome and he's going to help teams win, but it might not be the first team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, <laughs> I, I think the running theme here with all of these prospects is that we really don't know. Like the volatility here is insane. And I think, so Corey, something that I've seen, some people have actually compared Halliburton to SGA. And I think it's, for me, it was asinine because yeah. SGA, he, his, his handle was not functional. It was shifty. It was creative. He could get to the basket and make something happen. But when you watch Halliburton, I think like it's very fundamental. You know, like the guy can just, you know, he can dribble, he can get down the court and he can pass. We, we have to give him credit. He is a very, very good passer for sure. But he, as you mentioned, he's not going to be like a, I don't think he's going to be like a playmaker, if that makes sense. Like he's not going to break someone down. He's not going to have the wiggle, the creativity to get past defenders and get his own shot. And so I, I think you're rock solid on that. And then like to kind of go on to the next level of that, for me, I am absolutely in love with Peyton Pritchard from uh, Oregon. I, dude, I watch this guy play, and I see so much of Fred Van Vliet in his game. It's unbelievable. Just, like, the frame and, like, his shot making and how deep he can shoot it from and the fact that he can take it off the dribble, he can get to the foul line. I think, for me, that's why I think the valuations are so interesting because, obviously, I, I'm not a GM, and no one's going to pay me to be a GM. But, like, for yeah. me personally – I would rather have Pritchard than I'd, I'd rather have Halliburton. Like, am I crazy for thinking that? I don't think you're crazy necessarily, especially if you're looking for a guy who's going to like actually be the engine. If you're looking for that, I think Pritchard is a guy who's much more fit for that. I mean, dude, Pritchard's a, he's a bucket, you know, like he's yeah. a guy who's so competitive. He did it for a long time. There's a body of work. And he's one of those guys that I think that like traditionally he might drop to the second round, but this is the kind of draft where you might see somebody take him earlier because uh, he has that proven body of work and he has a lot of NBA ready skills. So I love Peyton Pritchard. And I think that, um, I think you're spot on. I think that it's all, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, like, look, if I was, if Halliburton somehow fell to like the Lakers, I think that would be a steal for them because he doesn't Crazy. have to handle it. He's playing off LeBron, but he could also, yeah. you know, really add to the guard depth but he's not going to drop that far, you know, like mm-hmm. he's going to be a guy that a team takes. And, you know, if your team doesn't, ha- if they're not set with a playmaker already, I think that that expectation for him is what's going to, what's going to hurt him. Um, but yeah, 
I, I love that you brought up Pritchard because he's uh that dude is a, a ton of fun to watch. Oh man, like there I, I think there are some safer guys out there and Pritchard is one of them. Um, and, you know, just to kind of go back to the volatility, there are two prospects that I wanted to throw your way because these guys are at the very top of a lot of draft boards. But I think when you watch them, of course, like it could be the fact that it's been eight months and we're breaking them down and breaking them down. And then, you know, all we see are the warts. But so for me, last Thursday, um, Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Maxey, they had the whole clutch sports showcase right on ESPN. And I think a lot of people, after watching the workout, I think a lot of people are really high on Maxi, And I think we'll come back to Maxi because Maxi's a guy that I freaking love. And I would bet, I would put all my money on Maxi that he's going to be a great player. I, I really do believe that. But I think a lot of people, after leaving that, were kind of like, well, Anthony Edwards was all right. He, he was clanking some shots. It, it wasn't like the best showcase for him. And then also there's James Wiseman. And James Wiseman, we have a very small sample size in terms of what he was able to do in college and so if, if you can Corey if you could speak to those two guys because I know a lot of teams are you know evaluating them very highly they're probably locks to go in the top three but at the same time there are a lot of huge question marks around both those guys yeah so I they're they are the, the top two guys on my board Wiseman's number one and I know that that's not necessarily the most popular of opinions I think a lot of people have a Kung Lu over him as the best center in the draft and we don't have a lot of film. And the film that we have is not super, super valuable from a, like, let's break down a ton of his film because the, he played two teams that it looked like he was playing against, you know, a, a varsity team, yeah. you know? And then he played against Oregon, who is a much more real college team. Mm -hmm. um, but to me with Wiseman, I look at one, especially in this draft that's volatile, his measurables are just absurd. Yeah. And, and if you're going to take a chance on something, it's not like he is only measurable. Mm -hmm. He has legitimate skills. And I I just, I watch him move around the court Yeah, Fluidity. and I watch him, I watch him do some of these things and I go, guys aren't supposed to do it that big. And now I'm not saying that he's going to be Anthony Davis or anything like that. But I think if you look at the worst case scenario, you have like a much bigger bodied Mitchell Robinson. And we've shown, you know, Mitchell Robinson has been a very valuable player in the minutes that he's been able to stay on the court when he's not in foul trouble. But to me, that is like his worst case scenario, you know, and I get it. You know, I get why people are scared off by him. But I think those same people that are that absolutely love a Kung Wu and I'm one of them. I love a Kung Wu. I just don't love him as much as I love Wiseman. And I think those people are putting, again, expectations. They're putting the bam out of bio expectations on, on a Kung Wu, and that's wrong because they're not all of that similar. Correct. But to me, I think those same people that have that feeling about a Kung Wu over Wiseman would have taken a Mecca Okafor over Dwight Howard. Mm. And, you know, you have the proven college player with all of this success, national championship, average five blocks a game, Right. No, he's a lock to be a very good player. And then you add Dwight Howard, who's this mystery kid who is coming out of high school. We don't know a lot about him. There's not much film, especially back then. Maybe you got to see him in the McDonald's game or something on right. ESPN once or twice. And you would have, you know, look, say what you want about Dwight. But when he was in his prime, he was, you know, he was a monster and he was better than, than, you know, a Mecca. He yeah. was a legit MVP candidate. So, to me, I look at the situation similarly. 
um, in that I think that Wiseman, he just has things that you cannot teach. Mm. You know, there's, uh, you look at Bam, you can go down the line. Uh, you look at a Kung Wu, you know, you could look at Bam as a guy similar. Obviously, Bam is much more fluid and has a, a ton more right. skill that he's proven. Uh, but Wendell Carter more recently is a guy that I, you know, liken to a Kung Wu a little bit. So there, there are guys that you can look at and go, this is a, a template player. James Wiseman doesn't have a template. And I think when we look at, you know, the, the guys who have that all NBA potential, a lot of times there is no template. Mm. They, they, they make the template. They're the ones who set it. And I look at Wiseman like that and he's a lefty. So I love him for that. Right. Um, moving, moving on to, uh, to Anthony Edwards. He's tough. Yeah. Because I still, <laughs> I have him number two because his ta- from a talent perspective, and it's, it's one, two, three guys in this draft. Like I have LaMelo third and I are, you know, I told you, I don't, I'm not even like yeah. the biggest LaMelo fan, but from a talent perspective, it's just those guys from a talent level. It's clear as day that they have a higher level than some of the other players, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that they're going to reach that high end talent. And if they don't reach the high end talent, it could be a disaster because like Cole Anthony, who maybe is a better situation because you're going to get him lower in the draft. If you're wasting a number two pick or a number three pick on one of these, these talent guys, you are in a situation where you are wasting a major asset on a guy who could really hurt you because he's these like Anthony Edwards is going to be good enough that you're going to have to pay him at the end of his contract. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that, you know, his uh, worth is going to be what you're having to pay him because you don't want to lose the asset for nothing. And that's where kind of the Andrew Wiggins comparisons, I think come in. Um, so, you know, he's the kind of guy that, uh, it is, he's, he's a volatile number two prospect because his top end is just an absolute monster scorer who is going to be able to get into the hoop has NBA ready body. I mean, he made, made, he's made moves getting to the hoop where you're just like, that is an all NBA move. Like, you know, he's got the handle, he's got the shot making. It's just, is he going to have the consistent, I want this more than you. And if he can find that, and it's going to be about team. What team does he go to that could take it out of him? Because you're going to have to pull it out, I think. You're going to have to pull it out. But his talent is high enough that I just – it's not like I wouldn't feel comfortable moving him down the board and being wrong about him because he could very easily be one of the, the best scorers in the league. He has all of the tools for it. I, man. Anthony Edwards is a tough one. Um, I, I can't <laughs> agree with you anymore. I just feel like Anthony Edwards is the type of guy, depending on – when you turn on the TV and when he's playing, you get a completely different player. And I think that's his biggest issue. I think there are some games you'll turn, you'll turn it on. Like, I think it was a Michigan state game where he went off for like 36 points. Unbelievable. Right. Like literally hitting every damn shot. He's breaking everyone down, shooting from NBA range, taking it to the rack, showing off all his athleticism. Fantastic. And then you turn on another game and he's just kind of ghosting. And I think, you know, the, the, the decision-making is one of the big warts on him, right? But I think also the biggest thing is the consistency. I mean, why did Paul George get so much hate this year in the playoffs? Because he was so inconsistent. And that kind of is where Paul George is right now, where certain nights he can be an quote-unquote MVP candidate, and another night he's just a ghost on the court. And I think that's something that's really, really interesting with Anthony Edwards that I really agree with you. Like, it's all over the place. And then with Wiseman... Wiseman, this guy has, like, guard skills. Like, when you watch him handle the ball, sometimes it's like, what the hell? Like, how is he doing that? And as you mentioned, the fluidity, when you just, like, watch, like, Bill Simmons, the podfather, he talks about this all the time. But when you watch big men and their gait, 
and how they run up and down the court. You can tell a lot about like things like longevity and how, you know, how fluid they are. Wiseman runs like a six, five guard. Like it's unbelievable how fluid he is. And I think that's really, really interesting too. And so I think you're right, man. And, And they really are kind of, a microcosm of what this draft really is. Um, even the guys at the absolute top of the draft, uh, draft boards, we really don't know. Uh, but if we can, Corey, I, I really wanted to talk about Maxi, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on him because Maxi might be my favorite prospect right now. And the reason why is, oh, and I don't want people to think, oh, you know, you just feel that way because of the Kentucky pipeline. It's not that at all. I think the more I watch Ty- uh, Tyrese Maxi play, the more you can see the dog in him. And at Kentucky, he was playing in a three-guard system with Ashton Hagens and Emmanuel Quickly. And I think that the role that he was in was he really was an initiator on the defensive end. He was that bulldog, you know, wanting to guard the best player on the the other team every single night. And I think offensively, because he was in that three-guard lineup, there was a little bit of like a, a less of a burden on his shoulders to be initiating things and leading things on the offensive end. But the thing with Maxi that I love, and we saw it even in the workout, even before he worked on the mechanics of the jump shot, for me, when I watch college, high school prospects, I don't really care about the numbers because we haven't even brought him up yet, but Devin Vassell shot 40% from three, two seasons in a row, and I would never buy his jump shot. I, I wouldn't. I, I don't believe in his jump shot at all. But for me, when I watch Maxi, yeah, maybe he shot in the lower 30%, but you watch him play. He has supreme confidence in his jump shot. And I think more than anything else, if you have that supreme confidence and you work on the mechanics of your jump shot and you have that dogged mentality where you're going to play hard every single night and you're not afraid to attack the rim, that's the type of prospect that I would buy in on a million times out of a million times. And so I love Maxi. Uh, so I, want, I definitely wanted to hear your thoughts on him. Well, I think you're spot on. I love Maxi too. I have him about 10th on my board, but it would not shock me if he ends up being better than that. Um, he has a lot of the qualities that a lot of the best guards, you know, his, you know, kind of uh, build have the, the Donovan Mitchells and, and guys like that. Um, he can, he's an excellent finisher around the hoop because like you mentioned, he's got such a strong body. He is, I, I think he's got, more shake than people give him credit for. I don't, I wouldn't put him like up there as like this phenomenal, uh, you know, ball handler who's got like tremendous wiggle and whatnot, but he has like NBA moves. Um, and you know, that's important. That lets him get his shot whenever he wants to. And like you said, you know, you go another guy who, you know, when he was playing Michigan state was hitting big shots off the bounds from deep to me, he has one obstacle, um, to become like a consistent no brainer 20 point scorer. And that is I 85% love his shot. And the Mm -hmm. 15% where I don't love is that it's a very low release, which leads to him shooting it out instead of up. And that leads to inconsistent misses. It leads to um, he back rims it when he's shooting it in the mid range and he, he front rims it when he's shooting it from, from distance. And that's what I was really looking at from his pro day is he making adjustments on that? And for, from that, I was a little underwhelmed um, because it, it looked too similar to when it did. Now I still think he's going to be a better shooter than he showed in college, even if he doesn't change his form mm-hmm. um, because everything else with his jump shot is great. He's got great follow through. He's got consistent mechanics. He's got great balance. He can get to it whenever. I just want to see him make those kind those small tweaks. And um, 
I think that when he gets with an NBA team, you know, it's different than working out with your trainer. You're work, you're, you know, you're, you're doing things more focused to what the team wants of you. And then you can kind of move in that direction. So it's not like I'm out on his jumper and, and him changing it. I just want to see the NBA team get there, but as a defender, he's a dog, you know, he, he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't want him guarding small forwards consistently, but I'm not afraid mm-hmm. if he gets switched onto a small forward, you know, cause he's right. strong and he's a bulldog. Um, he just has that mentality. And then, you know, I think offensively he has underrated, um, <coughs> sorry. I think he's underrated on the ball offensively. Like you mentioned, he played with Ashton Hagens and uh, Emmanuel quickly and, Calipari had quickly and Tyrese Maxey running off so much floppy action, moving off the ball, all this stuff, which is great because Maxey is super fun to watch moving off ball. He does all these little, you know, shakes and to get mm-hmm. to free, him sp- uh, free himself up and he, he gets guys to run into screens off the ball. It's great. It's really fun to watch. But I hated watching Ashton Hagens. I'm, um, you know, no offense to him. I just yeah. didn't think he was like a, a good point guard and, and I would have loved to, um, he's a good defender, you know, uh, but on the ball, I would have rather seen Maxi have it in his hands. And, and um, I think that's the kind of thing about his game that when he gets to the NBA level, you're going to be able to kind of see him add to his game quicker because he has that capability, in my opinion, that he didn't get to show. And that's where that, you know, Kentucky guys don't get to show their whole bag right. comes in because you see little flashes, but you don't see the, the whole thing. So, Man, I love Tyrese Maxey. I don't understand why he's being mocked where he is because even if, you know, like I said, I have him 10th or whatever, uh, you know, that's, that means that I could see him going 7th or I could see him going 13th and I'd be fine either way. It's about situation. But for the, you know, teams that have him in the 20s or even the late teens, I just go, where's the list of prospects that have, like, because it's not like he doesn't have potential, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like he's a guy that doesn't have more than he showed. So, I think he's a high potential guard. He's the kind of guard that you, you expect to be a good scorer. If he just makes right. you know, little tweaks and improves his game, which he will, cause he's a hard worker. Um, his body looked great. You know, he looks really strong. I, I think he's going to be a stud. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think if teams pass on him, you know, for your Knicks, I, if the Knicks drafted him at eight, I don't think that would be like crazy. You know, he's a guy that was like Cole Anthony. He was, projected to be you know in that that range at the beginning of the year and personally while he didn't like the net on fire as a shooter percentages don't always matter to me and like you mentioned Vassell that number numbers can be misleading and that's where the eye test comes in sometimes too so uh I'm with you I think he's a stud uh that's that's music to my ears Corey <laughs> I, I'm telling you if the Knicks take him at eight I I would have like a party by myself I love him that much um dude I <laughs> Yeah, that, it's, it's awesome. It, it, that feels great to hear. Um, so, Corey, I, I wanted to ask you, do you have, like, a prototype in terms of, like, players that you really enjoy personally or, like, while you're evaluating them? Because, like, I, I feel like be, there are definitely players in this draft that are being mocked as, like, role players, but I think can eventually be a lot better. So, an example, um, I know Gilbert Arenas was talking about this recently on an interview, but he was saying – Cash Stanley coming out of Duke, like he was like, this kid was NBA ready coming out of high school, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there are definitely going to be some players that are that people are mocking or evaluating as role players that might be a lot better than that. So I guess like a two-part question for you, are there players like a prototype of a player that you really love and some players that you see will end up being better than they're being evaluated right now? 
Um, I don't know. I, I kind of like, I guess if, if I had to say it would be the, the guards like Kyra Lewis, like those, those fun, quick guards who could score off the bounce. Um, you know, uh, guards like even Maxi. I think, you know, Maxi was time-wise the longest breakdown I did. I think it was like 17 minutes. You know, I, I loved going through his film. I mean, I enjoy watching all of it. I think more so I like trying to watch the film of the guys that everybody is praising really highly mm. and ignoring their weaknesses. I, I think for that, it, that's, to me, I was like, that's, that's the kind of thing that I think can separate um, prospects or I could separate myself from the pack of people doing this because, you know, I'm willing to kind of pick out their flaws. And sometimes, you know, the flaws I'll see, I don't, think are are things that other people look for you know I think one of my biggest things that made me feel like man I nailed this um is you mentioned Devin Vassell who I'm a huge fan of but in my breakdown I mentioned that um you know his shooting numbers are misleading and that Mm -hmm. he has kind of a a catapult-esque shot and if you look at his percentages it's great but his he's only shooting three and a half a game um and it's not like he wasn't playing big minutes you know he's basically just shooting the open good shot. So yeah, he's going to shoot it a little bit better, but if he would have got that up to five and a half, six attempts a game, you're probably looking at a 36% shooter, you know, and, and now the narrative of him is a little bit different. And I think that was one of my biggest wins because when that video came out of him yeah. shooting um, recently and it was, everyone freaked out. I was like, yeah. what are you guys freaking out about? Like, I, you know, did you watch him play? Like, yeah. this is how he shoots when he misses. This is what it looks like a lot of times. Um, right. So, you know, that to me was like uh, a big thing that it, it's a little thing in his game, but that's what I love doing when I break, break them down. You know, I, I just did um, Desmond Bain's breakdown and he is the absolute bell of the ball with this right. draft right now. He people love Desmond Bain and I, I like his game too. It's, um, I, you know, he's going to be a good player. I think he's one of the safer prospects, but, uh, you know, he's, he can't really dribble funk. Like he's a functional dribbler where he's not going to just dribble it off his foot, but he also can't mm-hmm. really take more than like two or three dribbles without kind of getting these happy feet. And he shuffles them right. and it leads to turnovers. And like, he, he doesn't have like combo moves and, um, you know, it's going to hurt him if you think that he's, more than the movement shooter that he'll probably end up being in the NBA. So that's kind of what I like. It's, it's finding like, I think if you watch a Desmond Bain video, beside, you know, you're not going to find people zooming in on his feet, shuffling, mm-hmm. you know, when he comes to a stop. Um, that's what I love to do. And I think that's that kind of nuance is, you know, when I'm breaking down film with my, my teams, like that's the kind of things that I look for. And, and that's kind of helped me, you know, with these prospects. So uh, from a player perspective, it's those fast, shifty, score, high scoring, high octane offense guards. Um, but from a, you know, just a general breakdown perspective, I like just breaking down the nuance to the games. And that's why I think I like so many of the older prospects in this draft, because <laughs> they're so much, they're so polished and, mm-hmm. and there's so much, you know, craft and nuance to their games that are going to, I look at and as reason they're going to succeed at the next level. Um, so I love Malachi Flynn and Cassius Winston and Merrill yes. and, and guys like that, you know? Um, and so those guys, while I have broken down those guys, all of those guys on my channel, I have worked on videos for them for outside of my own channel. Um, so, you know, even some of these later guys I've been, I've been breaking down and, uh, 
those are the kind of guys I really, really like. Dude, I'm so happy you brought up uh, Cash Winston because I was actually going to bring him up. I think the more I watch Cash Winston, the more I feel like that's a guy who you can trust in a game seven in the last five minutes of the game. Like, you can tell that he's going to be a guy that, number one, isn't going to be afraid to have the ball in his hands. And number two, you can trust to hit a big shot in a big moment. I mean, he's done it throughout his career at Michigan State. And, like, it, it, look, the warts are there, right? People are going to say he's not athletic enough. We don't like his size, blah, blah, blah. You know, is he really fit all the time? He looks a little chubby. But the more you watch him play, you can tell he has – all the savvy that you're looking for, all the, all the basketball IQ that you're looking for, he's going to make gritty, dirty plays for you. And ultimately, in a game seven, in a tight, high-intensity high intensity moment, you're going to want guys that aren't going to be afraid of the moment. And I think Cash Winston is exactly that player. And it's funny, Corey, all the, all the older guys that you mentioned are kind of like that, like Peyton Pritchard, too. He had some yep. of his best games in the, in the NCAA tournament. Right. The dude was not afraid of the limelight. And I think that's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun the more you think about these older guys. So I'm there with you. Um, I, I just have two more segments. I, I know I've held you for a long time. I just freaking love the drafts. So I can't. This I is can't. fun, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, of the bigs, you know, we've talked about Okongwu so, so far. I really agree with you. I think people are actually setting him up to fail because I I don't see as much BAM as a lot of people do. I think number one bam is massive like the dude like his shoulders and everything he's a gigantic human being um but i i I don't know if i see the passing that bam had bam is a fantastic passer and i don't see that with okongwu um but other than okongwu other than a wiseman other than uh, i mean there are a lot of names out there in terms of the big isaiah stewart's another name that that gets thrown around um I, i know i'm missing a lot of names here but who are some of the bigs that are really standing out to you right now? Um, I, I mean, uh, man, it's a tough one. Cause a lot of the bigs are, they're in that same kind of category. They're at, yeah. at the end. Uh, I really like Zeke from Arizona. Mm. Um, and Zeke I think Nagy. that his, his three point shot has looked really smooth and you know, you yes. saw, you saw like the mid range game, um, which looked smooth at Arizona, but if he's able to extend that out, I think he's going to be a really valuable player who fits kind of that modern center, you know, who he's not going to be an all-star by any means, but he's going to be a guy that you could stick on the floor when teams go big and, and he'll be able to kind of switch off a little bit and, and score efficiently and, and run some pick and pop. Uh, I, I like Zeke. Uh, I, I like Isaiah Stewart. I think he's tough. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that definitely it was hard to evaluate because he played a lot of zone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in college, and that's the kind of thing that sucks about college sometimes, like when teams that just play strictly two, three, it's like, you don't, especially for a big, like you don't get the nuance of like, how's this gonna, how's this guy gonna rotate and blah, blah, blah. But he's got a lot of raw tools. He's, he's a really great kid who's going to work harder than everybody on the floor. So I do like Isaiah Stewart, but you know, a, a lot of these guys, I would kind of take towards the back end of, you know, if I was going to take him in the first round, it would be towards the back end. And even I think a lot of them in the second round, I mean, you know, Jalen Smith is interesting for a lot of the same reasons that I think, you know, Zeke is. Um, But I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem like a, a big draft. It it seems like it's, you know, for me, and maybe it's just my preference for guards. It seems like it's so like guard slash kind of wing heavy. And uh, you know, if you, if you, 
consider Patrick Williams a big, and I think that ultimately he'll be a power forward. Um, he's interesting from like a, a raw talent standpoint, but from a big perspective, I don't know, like, you know, potential wise, you're probably looking at Poku as like the guy that everyone's going to say has the most potential. And I guess I would agree to an extent. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The bigs, the bigs in this draft, I think are going to be in the category where you're like hmm, a lot of solid guys, a lot of solid mm-hmm. guys where, you know, a Kung Wu and Wiseman are the two guys that you could look at and be like, all right, these guys are actually, like, very impactful. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to be the big contract guys in comparison to some of these other bigs are going to be the guys that maybe are more journeymen and, and are bouncing around. And, you know, you're going to – you love them when they're on kind of their rookie deal, but once you have to pay them, you're like, oh, should, should we do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of how I feel about the bigs in the draft. Mm. Dude, I, I loved what you mentioned about, dra- um, about zone because – um, that's pretty much how we feel about every Syracuse player that comes into the draft. The yeah. question is always like, are these guys going to be able to play defense? And I think even with a guy like Elijah Hughes, who's coming into the draft right now for Syracuse, like w- w- what's the biggest question on him? Is he going to be able to play defense? And so <laughs> I-, I think that's always hilarious um, because of zone. But, um, you know, we weren't, we didn't even get to mention the wings a lot. So Corey, gun to your head. You know, there's guys like Sadiq Bey. Um, who else have we got? Um, uh, Aaron Neesmith, right? Devin Vassell, uh, Isaac Okoro. Um, what, uh, the, what's the uh, Arizona kid? Josh Green? Josh right? Green? Josh yeah. Green. It, gun to your head. If you had to pick one of those wings, right? And you think like you're going to bet on their on their potential and then becoming like really, really good players. Who would you pick? Because I feel like there's just like a plethora of that position and that, you know, range of player, like three and D potential. Uh, I would personally pick Vassell uh he's sixth on my board I know I ragged on his jumper a little bit (laughs) earlier but as a defender and specifically a team defender he is the best prospect I think I've ever scouted Uh, maybe maybe Mikhail Bridges what at Villanova but Mikhail was a little bit older and more you know advanced in his development I, I just every time I watched him play he's the only prospect that I started the video with defense because I was just like oh my god what he's doing the reads he's making he's he's just one step ahead all the time um and he's like effective enough offensively that you know he's going to be a a plug-and-play player in any system you know he's he's another guy that I think like for the Knicks like Tom Thibodeau would love because I feel like he's a modern version of like what Luol Deng was just solid in every single way um and, you know, I, I think a lot of people have a Coro, they pair those two together and they, they yeah. think, and a Coro definitely has more potential, um, you know, cause he's got the athleticism and, you know, he could do a little bit more with his handle, but to me, his shot is so broken mm-hmm. that he's one of those Jack of all trades guys where it's like, he does have like the, the elite um, defensive ability one-on-one he was he was very good as as a team defender but he didn't have like the the stock numbers that you typically see in like an, a really good college defender right. um which you know i guess alarms some people but not me but i just i think his shot is so busted up and it's so like it's going to be such a struggle for him now granted we haven't seen i haven't seen like any video of him since college season ended like right. he's been very like playing things very tight um but to me, that's the kind of thing it's going to hold him back. I, you know, it, he's not the passer that everybody makes him out to be. He's a, he, mm-hmm. I highlighted he's a good passer, 
but it's not like I picture him being like a five assist guy, um, Mm -hmm. especially with his shot being busted. If he was able to improve that, then yeah, he can get into the paint and maybe get into that four, four or five assist range. But without the shot, he's not going to get there. His handle's good, but it's not great. Like he's another guy that it's functional. He's not going to turn it over. But if he tries to do too much, he's going nowhere with the ball. You know, you, you, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have to shake in the shiftiness. You know, if you're looking um, elsewhere, you know, like Aaron Naismith, I have yeah. over because at least I know that he's going to be a, a very good shooter and he does have excellent size and he showed some defensive potential, even if it's not the same as the, the other two guys. Like I like Naismith a lot. And I think that if you look at the success of, you know, Duncan Robinson, you could see a clear path to him, mm-hmm. you know, finding success himself. And I think that, you know, you know, with, Naismith, I think he would be like a, a dream fit in like New Orleans where he can learn from JJ Redick and then, you know, play off all the attention that Ingram and, and Zion would give him. Um, so, you know, again, it's all, it's all fit, man, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I do want to, you know, shout out Sadiq Bay because one, I love my Villanova dudes, but he's kind of, he, you know, it wouldn't shot. He's like Jay Crowder esque almost like solid, mm. you know, kind of plays at his own pace. Doesn't get sped up. He's going to defend. He's going to, he's going to knock down shots. He does a little, he can do a little bit of everything. He's like, he's to me, one of the safer players in the draft to be a good player. He just doesn't, you know, have that same potential that some of these other guys I think have, um, mm. which maybe that's selling him short. Um, yeah. but, but I, to me, I think he, he tops out at kind of that like Jay Crowder level, which, uh, which is still excellent, um, you know, to have on your team, I think. Complain the finals. But, uh, you know, you're not building around Jay Crowder by any means. Right, right. Oh, man. I mean, when you brought up Vassell to the Knicks, that really had me thinking just because for me, and maybe I'm crazy for thinking this way, like I, I hear everything that you're saying about Vassell and the defensive chops are like unbelievable. But like hypothetically, I was thinking like if, if I was drafting for the Knicks, I would really want to grab like a high end guard with our number eight pick. And then maybe at 27 or maybe more realistically, like 38, take a chance on like a Tyler Bay from Colorado because Bay is an incredible defender, you know, like he's a really, really good defender. And if I'm looking for like a real like defensive stopper as a wing, why don't I take that bet on a high end guard in the front end and then maybe grab a Bay later on was kind of like my rationale there. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. But it was kind it of totally it, it totally makes sense i mean like i said the number one guy i think the knicks should look to draft is kyra yeah. lewis you know yeah. but if for some reason kyra and killian were off the board you know i don't want to you know reach for tyrese halliburton there because i don't right. think he's a type of player that the knicks need and then you know I, i'm with the rest of the wings you know I know Okoro is is popular in the Knicks community, but I can't think of a worse fit. And and I just I mentioned earlier, I'm not a fit guy, you know, mm-hmm. best player available. But like, fit does play a part sometimes because you want that player to be put in a position to succeed somewhat, right? Like, and the spacing with Okoro and Frank and RJ Barrett and like Julius Randall, it's like, what on earth would that? Pop- look at you know if your best floor spacer is gonna be Mitchell Robinson you're in a little bit of trouble and uh and who knows like Tibbs loves Taj, Taj Gibson the Knicks might you know try to get Taj to play center for 25 minutes a night still um so you know for for that from that perspective I at least know with Vassell like if if Kyra and Killian were off the board that he theoretically is a good fit next to RJ because you know 
while I don't think he's going to be a 40% shooter, I do expect him to uh, eventually get to 36%, 37% enough that, you know, he's not a, a negative as a shooter by any means. He's a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands. You know, he'll get out in transition. He'll make cuts. He'll spot up. But RJ can kind of have the ball and make plays, which is something I think was underutilized with him last year. Um, So from a fit perspective, I think they complement each other well. And then, you know, he could go and defend, you know, the right guys. But, you know, if the Knicks did take Kyra with their first pick and you could get a Tyler Bay later on, I think that would be a great scenario. But, you know, if Devin Vassell was the guy that you took first and then you wanted to get that that point guard, I think you could look and, um, you know, you can get Malachi Flynn or Cassius Winston or, or Grant Riller or, you know, one of these guys later on that, you know, you can kind of do the inverse there as well. Um, yeah, that's true. So, you know, it's that, but that's why this draft is fun because there's, especially for the Knicks where their, yeah. their picks are specifically, you know, if mm-hmm. you had a game plan to get two kind of archetypes to match up, you could do it either way. So for yeah. them they're that's why you said they're in a good spot, you know, as a Bulls fan, the Bulls were supposed, you know, supposed to get the seventh pick before they moved up. And when they got the fourth pick, I was, you know, I was doing a, a live show on Knicks fan TV at the time. So I was like acting happy that we moved up because, you know, great, we moved up. It's a, it's a better shot. You can get your guy, but I was perfectly content this year being at seven because I liked so many of the players in that range. So, uh, you know, the Knicks having that back end pick. So, you know, kudos for the Marcus Morris trade. Um, yeah. And second round pick to go along with that first round pick. I, they're, they're in a great spot with such a, a, a you know, plethora of good players available at, at each spot, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, and this is a good place for us to wrap, but um, for me, I, my dream scenario uh, would definitely be like a Maxi or a Kira or a Killian or even a Tyrell Terry at number eight. And then at 27, I would love like, I, I wouldn't mind betting on the upside of like a, a Xavier McDaniel or not, not a, a, wait, what's his first name again? Jaden McDaniels. Jaden McDaniels. Why did I say Elijah? Um, <laughs> but yeah, Jaden McDaniels or Desmond Bain, but I don't think Bain falls that far or even a Balmero or a name that we haven't mentioned that I still really like a lot. I really like Nico Mannion. Um, I mm-hmm. followed Nico Mannion closely even in high school. And I think um, the shot making is there. I think he's more athletic than people realize. Um, I think, you know, his arms are a little short and they even look a little short, but <laughs> I, I really like his handle. I like his shot making ability. I like that he's aggressive going to the rim. And I think there's definitely some upside there that will show. And then, you know, depending on how those first two picks goes later at like 38, I wouldn't mind an Emmanuel quickly. And I know we mentioned, mentioned him shortly before, but the dude shot 92% from the free throw line and it wasn't like super high volume, but the thing that we've seen more and more is that I think more than three-point shooting numbers in college, the free-throw shooting numbers definitely speak more to potential shooting um, to the next uh, at the NBA level. So quickly is a guy that I think is interesting. Um, and also, I really like Isaiah Joe. And so um, if he was there at 38, I would be ecstatic because I think like, he's a guy who shot 40% two seasons, but it wasn't a Devin Vassell type of 40%. Mm. He, he was shooting – high volume and he was shooting from NBA range. And so I just wanted to hear how you felt about my haul there, because I think that'd be a dream for us. Yeah, I think that would be excellent. I mean, uh, touching on Isaiah Joe, like you said, that, that dude, you know, is a, a a sniper, you know, he's like, he put up, I think, I think he was shooting like eight shot uh, three point attempts a game this year. And, you know, while he didn't have the the same like lights out percentage, um, 
it's again, it's about form and what kind of shots and the context of the situation. You, you know, basketball is not played on a calculator all the time. Exactly. You, have to, you have to be able to use like analytics are there as a tool to use with the eye test. So Isaiah Joe, I think I, I had him early twenties on, on my board um, because I think that if you're just a great, going to be a great shooter and he has some potential off the bounds as well um, as a scorer, then you're ha you have a spot in the league right now. And uh, so I, I agree. I think that would be a great get at either of the Knicks, um, yeah. you know, back end picks. Nico, I like a lot too. I, you know, um, I agree with you. I think, you know, he's one of those guys, like his first step is, is super, super fast. And that means yeah. that, you know, he doesn't need a screen to get into the paint and break guys down. He'll do it with his, you know, just off his first step alone sometimes. And then, you know, he's always been a guy who had, you know, really solid vision and, and playmaking abilities and, Again, like you look at his form and his shot, his ability to get off the balance or catch and shoot, like he's going to be a plus shooter. I don't care what the three point percentage was in his freshman year of college. He's, you yeah. know, it, it's he's going to be a good shooter just based on you know what I believe um, are you know what makes a good shooter with form. Uh, yeah, he's consistent and he's got good follow through and this and that. And, and at the next level, he's not going to be asked to carry the load offensively like he was at Arizona. So he's going to get right. a lot more open looks, you know, and, um, and catch and shoot opportunities. So he's another guy that I agree. He, he would be a good get. And um, he's another guy that I actually think, you know, a team might take a shot on a little bit before yeah. the next second pick, because, you know, he, he was highly touted coming um, into the college season. And uh, you know, a team might be like, look, he, I agree. I think he's going to be a better shooter. Let me take him at, 19 you know or, or something like that um so but this draft it might not have a job it might not have a zion or a luca but it's got a lot of really solid players that yeah. you know it would not shock me if we look back at this draft and go you know what people said this draft was gonna suck but look at all these really good players you're right man i i just feel like the depth of this draft is unbelievable and i think the more casual fans dive into this draft, the more they'll see that there are a lot of real NBA caliber players. So I think that's really exciting. Hey, Corey, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Um, before you go, though, I did want to give you a chance to plug anything, you know, all the stuff that you're you know, doing right now. Go ahead and uh, plug that to our listeners. Yeah, so I guess the main thing I'll plug is, um, is my magazine. It's called The Hardwood. It's, you know, I, I think that if, as issues progress, it won't focus solely on the NBA draft, but it seemed like, this was the right way to start it out. So it's pretty much um, wholly focused on the draft this year. It's where you'll find my big board. Um, it has a ton of articles by some really excellent writers. The art is, you know, if you've followed me at all, it's, it's totally me. You know, I was inspired by like 1990s skate punk magazines and uh, you know, NBA inside stuff and, and all these, you know, saved by the bell, like all these things that yeah. embody childhood. Um, so the art, you know, the, the thing I wanted to, wanted to do with it because it was limited, it's a limited uh, piece because I'm doing releasing it independently is that I, I wanted it to, as much as it was about basketball content, it was also like a piece of art in, in and of itself. But the content is fantastic. And like I said, there's a ton of articles on it. Um, I'm really, really happy with how it came out. Uh, so, you know, as we speak, I mean, I, I'm honestly overwhelmed by the response to it. I think I only have like 14 copies left physically um, wow. right now so if, you know by the time this comes out if you're look if you're on the, the fence about it you should probably act sooner rather than later um, because I'm not going to do a second run but I am going to release 
the magazine um, in a strictly PDF version as well. Um, so you could find that the link um, on my Twitter at Hardwood Herald. Uh, you you know the first pinned post. You can go to the link there um, to find it. You can also go to my website hardwoodherald.com and it's you know there's a post um, you know written about it. And then uh, if you want to you know dive deep into a lot of these prospects um, in the film room, you know, just search Hardwood Herald and you can uh, go to my channel and there's a playlist for the 2020 draft. And there's a, a ton of really intense um, prospect breakdowns going through their strengths and their weaknesses and, and everything in between. And I try to um, break the game down in a way that you'll learn something, but I'm also not using like really intense basketball terms that are going to make you kind of be like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm, I'm, right. I just want to make it feel like, you know, I'm talking to you like a friend um, in the video and hopefully you learn something about the prospect and, and you're not, you know, treating it like a highlight video that you see when you search some of these YouTube uh, prospects. Hey, Corey, I, I have to say, this is me speaking strictly as a fan your YouTube channel is freaking awesome. The breakdowns have been so real and relatable. And, and as you mentioned, I think you definitely speak in terms for where anyone, anyone could understand whether you're a hardcore NBA fan or you're just getting into it. I think your videos have been fantastic. Uh, I also have already ordered the, first, the, the uh, physical copy of your magazine. So for our <laughs> listeners out there, make sure you get on that. Uh, this has been great as a Nick fan who is constantly living in misery. This podcast has been so encouraging for me and for all of our Knicks fans out there. If you're listening, I'm sure you're feeling a lot better too. But uh, once, hey, Corey, I can't thank you enough again. Thank you so much for coming on today. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. That'd be great. Yeah, man, let me know. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I, the NBA draft is like you. I'm a, a huge draft nerd. So getting to talk about it and especially with people who – who know what they're talking about is always a fun time. And, and you've clearly, you know, put the time in and studied these prospects as well. So I, I truly appreciate you having me on and, and, you know, let me, you know, have a, a little conversation with you. Uh, so back at you. It's uh, this was really fun. Uh, that, hey, that's uh, music to my ears. I, I really appreciate <laughs> it, but uh, thanks again so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you're a big fan of podcasts, or want to show some support to the Secret Weapon podcast? Go sign up for Stitcher Premium today at stitcher.com premium for only $4.99 a month. Stitcher Premium gives you access to ad-free episodes, comedy albums, and exclusive shows from Stitcher. Now, if you just want to check it out and don't know if Stitcher is for you, we've got you. You can use our promo code WARRIORS at checkout and get a month free on us. So go check it out. All right, we're back, and um, this kind of feels like uh, the normal the normal thing that we do. We've got Andrew here, and um, he wasn't able to make the the draft part of the pod. Secret weapon! Oh, secret weapon! Oh shoot, I forgot. I'm I'm not part of the earlier part of this uh, pod. <laughs> Dude, that was a really hey, good well. interview. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, he hasn't even heard it yet. So, <laughs> thank you, Corey. That was really good. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Uh, um yeah but i saved the secret weapon call until you came on right okay thank you i appreciate that uh, uh, <laughs> so anyway uh we got andrew back and um hey andrew you wanna you wanna plug your uh new podcast to our listeners let them know what's going on oh uh <laughs> it's kind of 
<laughs> kind of embarrassing to say, but why? What do you mean? Me and uh, two friends from college, uh, we started a new podcast. It's called Shim and Shin. Um, mm. It's because that's their last names, and the and is me. Um, mm. But basically, it's just like kind of like a free talk kind of podcast. Um, we don't say anything really crazy and insightful, but if you have a lot of free time <laughs> and you have nothing to do, <laughs> feel free to tune in. Um, it's kind of like the theme is that we're like a little small group and then we we have like a main discussion topic for the for the episode. But if you want to hear some uh, unqualified, um, nonsensical perspectives from 25-year-olds who know nothing about life, this is a perfect pod for you. Uh, it's called Shim and Shin. Uh, go, mm. feel free to check it out. We have two episodes out already. First one's about friendship, and the second one is about fears. Uh, yeah, um, if, you, if you really have nothing to do, um, <laughs> come check it out. All right, dude. It's um, I listened to the first episode, and uh, you know, it just it, it's it's cool. It's like a bunch of buddies just kicking it, hanging out, and talking. So, uh, shout out to the uh, Purgogi Pod who. Uh, is kind of like the female version of you guys, except they're uh, talk a lot more about dating. Or do you guys? I don't remember if you guys talk about dating, but no, we yeah, haven't yet. But, yeah, yeah. But hey, if you guys like Andrew, then you guys should definitely check out his new pod. It's really, really good. Mm. Um, but here on the Secret Weapon Pod, uh, we're gonna keep going and uh, pushing forward with NBA talk and NFL talk. And uh, with Andrew coming on now, I thought you know his Colts are you know having an interesting season. So I thought maybe we'd talk some NFL. For sure. Um, I mean, really quick though, uh, Albert also mm-hmm. told me that um, a lot of your friends have been—they've uh, <laughs> been enjoying me as part of the podcast. So I wanted to, you know, really quickly appreciate them really quick. I know none of you by name, but uh, whoever you are, thank you so much. It means a lot to me because honestly, I have no podcast experience. I'm just here blabbering with no uh, resume, with no you know background or anything. But you guys think i'm worth listening to for some reason so <laughs> really appreciate that um and i'll try to keep it as as fun as possible but yeah we have mm-hmm. neglected football for a long time i feel yeah. like it's been the neglected yeah. son um in our, in our podcast so we talk about the office more than the more than football actually maybe so uh, yeah we definitely need to touch up on some football today um yeah what's our first topic Albert? <laughs> Well, first off, I, I want to say um, I send my pod to like a lot of my friends back home. And uh, instead of saying like, hey, like the pod's really good or, hey, you're doing a good job. All of them go, this Andrew guy's really funny. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, my feelings don't get hurt. You know, I'm I'm like Dwight, man. My feelings regenerate at twice the speed of a normal human being. So, that's good, uh, that's good. you know, shout out to all my friends back home for hating on me. Uh, like on the Chappelle show, the Player Haters Club. Um, I receive it all, but it's okay. Being the entertainment aspect, it's not always a good thing because, you know, even Skip Bayless, he gets a lot of views. Doesn't mean he always says the right things, though, you know? There's a lot of clickbait. Don't don't compare yourself to Skip Bayless. That's the last person we want you to be right now. <laughs> man, I, I used to hate but, Skip Bayless. I mean, I still do, but yeah. gotta admit, the man probably makes a lot of money. I mean, dude, yeah, yeah. But you know who I don't like? I 
I'm sure he'll never hear this pod, but uh, Nick Wright, I'm not a huge fan of because I feel like he's always gassing LeBron, like no matter what. Yeah. And um, that's pretty corny. So eh. him and Shannon Sharp are the most LeBron loving guys. But Nick Wright is like, it's like outright blind allegiance (laughs) to LeBron. Is is he signed by Clutch Sports? Is he, uh, is that what it is? I don't know, but I feel like every time he does, it does get more views and it's just uh-huh. more, you know, like clickbaity. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, Albert, you probably know better, but like these kind of people, are they doing it really? Yeah. Like, do you think Skip Bayless believes the things that he says? Or do you think he's, he knows the market that well and he knows his brand that well that he's doing it like, you know, for the money, basically. I, dude, I, I would say, I think with Skip, it's definitely like a mixture of both. I think he definitely knows that he has a you know like a national audience and so he definitely tries to play i think he i think he really tries to be the heel sometimes and being like you know the the the, the opposing party i guess um we should also mention we're recording this on election night so oh, yeah we don't know what's gonna happen yet but the future of our country may be in the balance and yet we're here talking about skip bayless and the nfl so well Props there's, to us, huh? there's definitely a heel in the election as well <laughs> <laughs> man i hope i hope everything turns out okay today oh god i, I already hear police sirens outside of my house so good start right it's a yeah good place worry. To be, if you haven't already it's too late now but i hope everyone voted <laughs> <laughs> go out there and vote for 2024 yeah next um, time four years four years <laughs> sign up for a ballot yeah. right now <laughs> But um, yeah, so uh, anyway, the, the the future of our country is in balance, but we want to talk about the NFL. Um, we we were like, oh, damn, what are we in week nine now coming up? Is it week nine? Week eight? I'm trying to... Is it already? No, dude, I, think I think it's week nine. Oh my gosh, it is. Yeah, it yeah is. dude, it's week nine. Unbelievable. The season is just flying by and it feels like every other day we're hearing about like more COVID cases and like games potentially getting canceled and... You know, a lot of players keep coming back from COVID, like all weird. Like Cam Newton is like not himself. Like I remember in week two against the Seahawks, this guy was like throwing dimes all over the field. And then he gets COVID and comes back and can't throw the ball five yards. So it's a it's a strange season so far. Um, But, uh, you know, what we wanted to talk about today are just like some of the contenders and kind of where the NFL is at. Um, Andrew, I guess we can start with you. What what are some teams, maybe some storylines, maybe some players that have stuck out to you so far in the we're like almost halfway there, but yeah, or past halfway. I mean, I think the person most uh, looked at this season uh, for some reason, I think, is Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the guy is balling out. And, yeah. you know, I feel like he's always been balling out, though. You know, he mm-hmm. kind of always has been at this level of play. Um, but particularly this season, the Seahawks defense is god-awful. Uh, even though they have Bobby Wagner. Um, but we'll see. Jamal Adams is coming back, I heard, this week. But, oh, yeah, sorry about that again. <laughs> I, I didn't mean Keep to. But moving. anyway, uh, their defense is really bad. Uh, but mm-hmm. Russell Wilson is keeping the offense at 100 with uh, the help of DK and Lockett. Um, you know, their offense looks really scary. Um, mm-hmm. They can do everything, like no short game, uh, you know. Uh, they have deep threats, and DK Metcalf is just you know arising as 
one of the league's best and scariest receivers right now too. So yeah. uh, Russell Wilson definitely is one player I've been keeping an eye on, and you know he's in the he's in the runnings for MVP. Um, for sure. But yeah, I mean even Patrick Mahomes, I mean he's been balling out as well. But I feel like the bar is set a little little bit higher for him just because he's a Super Bowl winner. He is last year's MVP. Um, mm. So it's kind of like, ago, yeah, oh yeah, two years ago. And he has been doing what he's been doing for a long time or since he's yeah. kind of stepped into the league. And so, you know, I think either of those guys can definitely be MVP. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting um, just because I feel like yeah, it, this season is a little weird with COVID and like the uncertainty of players. I don't know health, uh, but mm-hmm. also I feel like a lot of notable players got injured this year, this year, like big mm-hmm. injuries, and that kind of took away from a lot of the fun. Um, you know, notably like Saquon Barkley is out, right. Dak Prescott, OBJ, uh, OBJ, um, and you know the Cowboys have been just in shambles, and yeah. the NFC East is uh, was basically. The equivalent of like uh, Southern California CIF, uh, the four top four teams, it's just <laughs> got awful over there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this season is kind of like all over the place. I don't, I don't really know what mm-hmm. to expect. And to be honest, it feels like a little bit boring. I don't know, like less mm-hmm. interesting than usual. It might be because mm-hmm. of all the injuries. It might be because I don't know. The top teams seem to be like head and shoulders up ahead of every other team yeah um yeah so there's no real like i don't know real strong tight competition right now uh but mm. we'll see it is football you never know what's going to happen and come i don't know week 16 we'll probably have a better idea of who the real front runners are um uh, but yeah mm. that's kind of how i see football right now hey um you you brought up nfc east we have to shout out our our brother uh iron hong uh, John is a big fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think, you know, it's probably the worst division, but also the most exciting because the Giants who are in last place, they're one in seven. And yet they're only like, what, three games back of the Eagles. So they're, they're still in the running for the NFC. East, even <laughs> so at if, one in seven. if the NFL is like UFC MMA, right? The NFC East yeah. is like watching a bar fight. You know, it's just mm-hmm. uh, the equivalent of four drunk dudes um, duking it out with broken bottles of glass. Um, and, you know, who knows who's going to come out on top? You, you don't you really don't know right now. That that sounds just about right uh, in terms of the <laughs> NFC East. Uh, but, hey, you know, you were talking about the Seahawks before. The interesting thing with the Seahawks is I, I 100% agree with you. I think Russell Wilson has been this good for a long time. It's just. I think the biggest difference we're seeing with them, as you mentioned, is number one, their defense is not so good, but they will eventually get Jamal Adams back, and that should change things. And I know they just picked up a defensive end. I don't remember who. but um, uh, Dunlap. You know, yeah, Dunlap, right. Um, but the biggest thing with them also is that this year they're passing a lot more than they ever have, uh, which is interesting, you know, because they've always been a run-heavy team, and they still have Chris Carson. But, I mean, for years now, like, if you're playing fantasy, you pick up the Seattle running backs because – they just run the ball so much, but you know, definitely seeing Russell Wilson open up and being able to pass more has been really, really cool. Um, and you know, I, I just feel like, as you mentioned, it is kind of boring. Kansas City, they're just kind of on cruise control right now, um, not really doing much in a lot of ways. It just, I mean, hey, Andrew, okay, hypothetical. Let's say you're a highly coveted free agent, and um, 
you had like like a Le'Veon Bell type of situation, right? And you could sign with any team in the league. I feel like it's almost a no-brainer for you to sign with the Chiefs, right? Yeah, I mean, at this point, the Chiefs look like the Warriors, um, the yeah. easy route. If you want a free ticket to the bowl, you know, just sign with the Chiefs, I would say. Yeah, it sounds about right. And they've just been so good. And like, it just doesn't feel like they're trying very hard this season. And I think that's why Pat Mahomes isn't getting a lot of talk MVP-wise, because he doesn't have to do much. Like, even that Denver game, like, in in the snow, Fool, like, didn't really have much to do. Um, and on the, uh, and uh, on the other side, a team that seems to be doing a lot and seems to be playing a lot better, especially recently, is Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is a lot of fun. They're two, uh, two linebackers, uh, Levante David and um, who's the other guy? White, right? Mm-hmm. Is it White? Yeah, those two guys are freaking so fast. And then uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., their rookie uh, safety. That fool looks like already one of the best safeties in football. And so Tampa, their defense plus, you know, their offense, and if they, if they can get Godwin healthy uh, with their running game too and Gronk, Gronk looking better, Tampa's a really, really interesting thing, uh, interesting team. Yeah, and that's one of the top headlines is like, you know, Bill Belichick without Brady. Um, mm. Is he being exposed? And Brady, was he really the, the one carrying the Patriots? Um, what do you think? What do you think about that, Albert? So for me personally, I think it's really hard to judge off of this season just because the Patriots, their defense, a lot of their main players opted out of the season because of COVID. Um, you know, and a lot of them were just like, hey, we're not going to risk it. And they, they didn't play at all this season, not to mention they freaking had COVID. And so Cam was out. And so it's hard to say, man. And I also feel like the one thing with Belichick that, you know, Bill Simmons talks about all the time is that he's really struggled with drafting. I mean, look at this season's wide receiver draft class. It's freaking unbelievable. Just just to name a few, right? Chase uh, uh, Claypool, right? Uh, CeeDee Lamb. Um, who else? Justin Jefferson. Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy. Like the, name, the list of names goes on and on and on, right? And the Patriots somehow were able to miss on all of them. And Cam Newton is throwing to a freaking bird. And who else is he throwing to? Um, he's still throwing to uh, Nikhil Harry, yep. um, old Edelman. Like, it's a hard time. And so I I still think Bill Belichick is a fantastic coach. I mean, no one can take that away from him. Um, I think it would, it's hard to gauge, though, just because of the circumstances and him not having his best players this season, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, for, I mean, for me, I for some reason, I always equated, like, the Patriots to be, like, the San Antonio Spurs of the league. Uh, mm. just way more shadier and uh, way more <laughs> cutthroat. Um, but Bill Belichick always kind of reminded me of Pop in a way like they are, they're always winning coaches and they mm-hmm. know how to make, you know, kind of like no-name players fit into their system and become yeah. really good players. And I think both coaches did that really well. And this kind of reminds me of, you know, like – the previous or like the recent seasons where the Spurs lost the the big three and they're trying to do it with LaMarcus and uh, DeMar DeRozan. DeMar, yeah. It's just obviously not the same. And Mm -hmm. those two players are not enough for the Spurs. And I think they even missed the playoffs, right? Like last two seasons or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially well this season. Yeah. This past season. And, you know, it's just like that that doesn't make Popovich a bad coach. I just Mm -hmm. think, you know, 
there is a certain ex- extent where the players just need to go and execute, and sometimes the players just aren't good enough. Um, definitely, you know, I know the the catchy clickbait storyline is that Brady is the goat, and this shows that it wasn't Bill, it was Brady. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm not on that boat yet. Um, I mean, I look at the 2008 Patriots season when Matt Cassell was the uh, starting quarterback, and they went mm-hmm. 11 and five, I think, mm-hmm. and. They they made the playoffs and again our listeners probably were like who's who's Matt Cassell or you know okay but, first off you're pronouncing it Cassell because you're an LA guy and you have Cassell's burgers yes but yes. it's actually Matt Castle okay no Castle is what you build like Sand Castle I know but his name is pronounced Matt Castle not or, Cassell or Matt Cassell what, what about Sam Cassell Sam Cassell I know I know but. It, <laughs> But English language, Matt man. Castle, okay? Okay, whatever. Matt Castle. He he took that team when Brady went down with that uh, ACL yeah. or something. Uh, he took him to 11-5. and five, And this guy is not an elite quarterback in any sense. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Bill can really do a lot with the least. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this year he really, really has the least. and. Yeah. It's not fair to judge him. I think off of this season again, yeah. I mean, you've been in, you've been with Brady for, I don't know, like the whole time, and yeah. to kind of like build a new offense around such a different quarterback in Cam Newton, right? right. Like this is a completely like opposite end of the spectrum kind of quarterback in Cam, and let alone uh, Cam's history with his injuries and. Uh, he's been out of the season or he's been out of football for like one to two years. Um, right. It's just like a completely different situation. And I don't think it's Bill's fault. And Bill's pretty ballsy. He came out and he said, you know, <laughs> we spend a lot of money uh, winning Super Bowls <laughs> and basically saying his team sucks right now. There's not much he can do about it, which I really agree. You know, I know he shouldn't have said that, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. That's that's the case with the Patriots right now. They've been dominating uh, the AFC. Is it the North? AFC North? Who? Are they North? The Patriots? Yeah. AFC East. AFC East. Sorry, AFC yeah. East. They've been dominating AFC East for forever. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I don't blame Bill at all, um, but I am surprised that Brady is uh, playing really well. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, it's like Brady left, Bill had nothing, but Brady left to like a way better situation. He has Mike mm-hmm. Evans to throw to, Godwin, he got Gronk with him. That defense is really good. Even uh, their running back, Ronald Jones, is it Ronald Jones? Yeah, Ronald Jones. He's yeah. like balling out, and they have Bruce yeah. Arians, a really off- good offensive-minded coach. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Brady left to a way better situation. So, you know, I feel like it's very skewed in the way that uh, media is covering this. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see what the Patriots are going to do. Who knows? Who knows what they'll do? Um, Maybe think for, try to go for Trevor, steal him from the Jets, you know? (laughs) That'd be a nightmare. You know, it's funny um, with, 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 uh, with Tom at uh, Tampa Bay, Tom, Tom Brady may have to be GM of the year, like executive of the year. This fool goes to Tampa, and with him, he brings Gronk, Leonard Fournette, and he he manages to get uh, Antonio Brown, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we as much as Brady is playing well on the field, I think he needs to get some uh, credit for all the front office work he's doing, too, bringing these guys with him. Like, they are really surrounding him with a lot of talent. 
And as you mentioned, right, Ronald Jones is having a great season. Uh, had a weird fumble uh, the other night, but still playing really, really well. Fantastic football. And then, you know, Mike Evans has been hurt, and then Godwin is going to eventually come back, and they're going to be really, really scary. I think the only thing that I think is standing in Tampa's way is their own uh, offensive line. It's good, not great. Um, their, their center, I think his name is Jensen, right? He is kind of struggling with the snaps a little bit. And um, the thing that we know about Tom is he's 43. And if he's against a good pass rush and they start pressuring him and going low on him or whatever, you know, it, it gets a little dicey with him. So I think that'll be the thing to watch. Um, and outside of Tampa, bro, the Steelers, 7-0. and 7-0 and are the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. And it feels like they've very quietly gone 7-0. and Like, it doesn't sure. seem like a lot of people are talking um, about them. You know, they lost Evan Bush a couple weeks back to a season-ending injury. And yet they're just like, hey, we're good. And then they traded for uh, Avery Williamson from the Jets, adding a, another inside linebacker. The fire sale of the New York Jets is... Finally over today because the trade deadline <laughs> passed, but uh, it was a painful one. I'm glad we kept Quinn and Williams, but um, yeah, man, the Steelers look pretty, pretty fun. They seem like a really, like a, a pretty complete team. Um, I don't know how you feel about James Conner. I think he's okay. Um, nothing like amazing, but their defense is scary and they're, they're, they're pretty rock solid team and they did a good job beating the Ravens on Sunday. Um, I think... Yeah, I mean, Steelers, I didn't expect out of all the teams in football, you know, to be the 7-0 and team. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm very surprised that they got here. I do think they have a really good team, um, great offense, great defense. Um, but just a little bit of uh, – how do I say this? Just a little bit, like, to push back, I guess, is mm-hmm. – I you know, I took a look at their schedule, and mm-hmm. it, it was it's not that impressive except right. the last game over the Ravens. They beat the Giants, they beat the Broncos, um, they beat the Eagles and the Texans, and then the Browns. Um, uh, I would say the Giants, Broncos, Eagles, and even the Browns, they're, they're not very impressive teams. The Texans, mm-hmm. they can be competitive, but also they're, they're just not the team that they were past two right. years. So um, really the, the two most impressive uh, victories, in my opinion, are the Titans and the Ravens that they had over the last two weeks. So I think that does put them very definitively as a good team. I think those are two really good prove-it weeks, and mm-hmm. they did. And they beat really, really, two really good teams. Um, so, yeah, we'll see where the Steelers go. Uh, but in and, my opinion— And you you really like the Titans. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the Titans. I know they're uh, division uh, you know, competitors, but um, I feel like they have the most or second most well-rounded team um, mm. in football right now. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, I think the Steelers will go as, as far as Ben takes them. Um, if Ben goes down, honestly, I, I don't know what becomes of that offense. And, you know, Ben is not a young guy anymore. And I know he's known right. for being able to take the hits. Um, but he, yeah, again, he's not young. And so if Ben can keep up his level of play, I would say Steelers are a dangerous team in the AFC. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to have to wait to see to maybe like week 11, week 12. Mm-hmm. Um, they do have a few more games uh, where, where we'll see if, if they are really who they are. Like they're going to play the Ravens again. Um, they're going to play um, the Bills and they play the Colts, of course, uh, later. <laughs> um, not really a proven <laughs> week, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I think 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think a, a lot of this does hinge on Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he's coming back from a terrible injury last season. He was out for most of last season. And so it, I think overall it's cool to see him back on the field and he looks really fit. Like this is probably the skinniest I think we've seen Ben Roethlisberger in a long time. And, um, you know, the interesting thing with them is they just continue to pump out wide receivers. Like it's just what they do. Like, you know how LSU is called DBU? Like mm. Pittsburgh is just wide receiver wonderland. I don't, I don't even, that sounds weird. But, um, you know, they just keep pumping them out. Claypool is unbelievable. Deontay Johnson is really good for them. They got Washington. They got all these guys. And it's crazy how they continue to pump them out every single year. They just, they're so good at evaluating, evaluating wide receivers. And what they're able to do with all of them is really, really right. interesting. So, man, I agree with you. I, it, it comes down to Ben. And as you mentioned, he is older and he probably can't take the hits like he used to, especially now that he's skinnier. But it is interesting to see. And, you know, another team that's like that, that's very quarterback heavy is the Green Bay Packers. And I think, you know, they started the season as like easily one of the hottest teams. And Aaron Rodgers was in all the MVP talks. But then slowly they've really started to fall off with a couple ugly losses and now they've got some injuries. I mean, Devontae Adams is back and playing, but, you know, uh, who's their running back? Aaron Jones has been hurt. And then I think their their second string guy, Jamal Williams, I think he got hurt on Sunday too. And so there's definitely some attrition there with their roster. And I think they're going to be an interesting team to watch because if they can get healthy, we know what Rodgers can do. But if they keep struggling like this, you got to wonder about their playoff and Super Bowl hopes for the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is... Like, people slept on him a little bit in coming into the season. Uh, but, you know, we have to remember he is the sheriff. He is still an elite quarterback. Like, not just elite. I would say he's probably, you know, maybe the third best right now. And even the wow. top three quarterbacks, in my opinion, like Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. Better than better than Tua? <laughs> I don't know. Tua did throw one really good throw. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Shouts to our boy Finn. <laughs> Finn saw that one throw. He he went to NFLShop.com uh, and he bought a jersey real quick. <laughs> He's like, "Yep, he threw that slant route real good." <laughs> oh man, yeah, this is good. I bet you Steve can't even pronounce his last name. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, in my opinion, are the top three quarterbacks. Um, and to me, it's it's almost like 1A, 1B, 1C. I feel like mm. you can't really say one is like crazy or like, um, you know, like su- substantially better than the other. Mm. I feel like any of those three quarterbacks you put on each other's teams and they'll still find a great amount of success. Um, mm. But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of weird media news coming out of Green Bay, like with Aaron Rodgers and stuff. Um, I really don't know where that's coming from. Maybe he, Wait, is like a, he is a weird dude. Andrew, you know, your list of quarterbacks, there's a really big name missing there that is pretty controversial. A, a lot of people, no, a lot of people think Lamar Jackson is one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. No, uh, no I mean, no. I'm, see, I'm yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But uh, there's a lot of talk right now about, you know, people you know, double, uh, what is it, questioning Lamar Jackson, especially with the way he played on Sunday. Lamar Jackson's long ball looks like my long ball. It's like dead duck <laughs> flying in the air. He's just lucky Mark Andrews can catch those. 
for, for our listeners out there, you guys should know that Andrew is the starting quarterback of our church football league. So uh, I don't know if that was a compliment or. Yeah, I think whenever you make uh, Lamar Jackson a quarterback, like yeah. you make him beat you with his arm, uh, uh-huh. you have a great chance of winning. And, you know, we saw it, I think, um, was it last week? Mm-hmm. Um, when they played the Steelers, right? This Sunday, this past Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Lamar is, he's a great quarterback. He's definitely in the top 10. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like this year has been a little bit of a slump for him, um, you know. And I think he just needs to develop more as a, a throwing quarterback, a pocket presence quarterback. And yeah, he's just not on the level of Pat Mahomes and Russell Wilson and Rodgers for me yet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Packers, um, they're a really good team. Devontae Adams is, he might be my favorite wide receiver. Uh, mm-hmm. To watch, and I think he he could pot- potentially be the best receiver in the game too. Um, and I know he was out a little bit, um, but mm-hmm. with him coming coming back, he had an immediate impact. The guy is footwork, like hands, speed, you know, like everything. He's just like perfect receiver in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they lost last week to the Vikings, but um, mm-hmm. you know we'll see how it goes. I I don't like the Packers to come out of the NFC. I think mm-hmm. I still have the Seahawks coming out of the NFC, but mm-hmm. because the Seahawks defense is so bad, I'm I'm not 100% sold on Seahawks yet. Yeah. Um and I I could I could see the Packers um make a make a push for that. Uh but yeah. That could that could get pretty interesting, man. And also we we spent a lot of time talking about the Bucks before too, and uh we'll see how they turn out in the NFC too. That could get really really interesting, sure. but I, dude, I agree with you. I, I like Lamar Jackson. I don't love him. Um, as you mentioned, when he has to sit in the pocket and make throws all day, it, it is a different version of Lamar Jackson that isn't as impressive as the one that's running around. Um, to be honest, you kind of get that feeling with Kyler Murray, too. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's tough. It, it is tough. But I think, ultimately, Lamar Jackson, I think he will get better. I, 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 obviously, this is not... The final version of Lamar Jackson. There's still a lot of improvement for him to do, but I think your top three is pretty rock solid. I, I definitely still rate Aaron Rodgers really, really highly. Of course, Pat Mahomes. Um, I was, I was, I, I thought you were going to put Phil Rivers in there. Um, <laughs> thankfully, you didn't. Um, you know, maybe some of our listeners also like Matt Ryan, but uh, that's Matt that's an absolute. Oh yeah, I but, wanted to touch on that too. I uh-huh. think if we want to talk about kind of like teams we're most disappointed with this year. Dude, mm-hmm. the Falcons have to be on the top of my list because mm-hmm. they have some very, very notable notable names on offense, at least. And mm-hmm. they've been losing, like, really close games. And, like, I feel so bad for Atlanta, you know, after what the Dodgers did to them. And then now <laughs> their football team is, like, maybe ever since the, the what was it, the 23? Yeah. yeah, like, that lead, just nothing has been the same for them. But mm-hmm. they just can't catch a break, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm so disappointed in the Falcons. Like they have such an explosive, dynamic offense, and they, you know, I think they got rid of uh, their head coach midseason too, mm-hmm. um, Dan Quinn. Yeah, there's just it's just uh, such a disappointment in my opinion. So much potential. They, yeah, dude, I hundred percent agree with. They've lost some really painful ones this year. Another team like that is the Chargers, dude. The Chargers have given up like fifteen point, <laughs> sixteen point leads like five times this season. Like honestly. If things rolled a little differently, the Chargers could be like six and two right now. Um, they've 
They've been pretty good because Herbert. Okay, this is what I wanted to talk about next. The rookie quarterbacks this year are pretty damn good. Like you watch Joe Burrow, he he pretty much doesn't play with a line in front of him. I think yeah. like a like a robot like hikes the ball to him and then he just like goes from there. <laughs> um, but dude, he gets hit really hard. But this fool is like three touchdown, three hundred yards every single week, and somehow he's keeping the Bengals in all of these games and. Dude, Joe Burrow by next season might be a top five quarterback. Like that fool is that good already. And then the wild card and all this is that no one thought Herbert would be ready in his first season. And he comes in because the medical staff in the Chargers just punctures a hole through uh, Tyrod Taylor's lung. <laughs> Conspiracy. <laughs> Secret weapon. <laughs> and this fool comes in and dude... I'm sure you've seen him play too. Herbert is a baller. This guy is actually like really damn good so far. And I think that's been really interesting. And for our boy Finns, hopefully Tua can keep that train rolling. But uh, these rookie quarterbacks are pretty damn good, bro. I mean, Tua took a Fitzpatrick job even when he was doing well. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) Justin Herbert, um, I know it sounds like hindsight bias, but I swear I have some track record where I could show you some chats but I was actually really high on Herbert uh, coming into mm-hmm. the combine I really liked like I was watching his tape and his arm talent is always there yeah. uh, even since Oregon um, he can throw the deep ball really nice he can place it really nice and we're, we're seeing that in in uh, on the charges right now um, the only thing I had concern with was yeah just his like his vision and his uh, you know decision making yeah and uh, I think some of those Charger games, he he went for a big, and it was just not the decision to make, and you know it cost him turnovers. And so, as as much as we see the the huge arm and uh, the yardage and the touchdowns that he's throwing, he's also uh, making some turnovers, and it's mm-hmm. kind of resemblant to me of a young Andrew Luck. Um, I hope he's doing well, by the way, with his family away from the game. You know, come back. We can we can definitely use you, Andrew. But anyway, um, a young Andrew Luck, he had all the talent. I feel like he was the generational talent that everyone was looking forward to. And you know, he came in and he played really well. But I think one one thing about him that you know was still holding him back was the turnovers. And so mm-hmm. I know it's a it's a common thing amongst rookies, you know, for sure. It can't be easy adjusting to the NFL speed and uh, pace of things. Um, but yeah, Joe Burrow, uh, Herbert, they look really good. We'll see how Tua does. Um, but it, it seems like right now uh, the next quarterback we need to look at is, is Trevor Lawrence for the Jets, right? It's... Um... Man, you, you just know how to stab me in my heart. Um, <laughs> Wait, Albert, how upset would you be if you guys don't land him? Dude, so I was talking about this with our our, our boy Brian on Sunday. Uh, some of the guys um, came wow. over to my house and we were watching football together. But I- I'm at a point now where if the Jets were to win a game, I would be freaking angry. Like, I <laughs> am 100% behind the Jets going 0-16. Because, but dude... Andrew, I do want to talk about this because today was like a rough day for in, in Jets land because the trade deadline passed today, right? And after, you know, uh, freaking Joe Douglas, our GM, does a, a press conference after and he says, Adam Gase is our coach and we have no we have no plans of firing him. And then he talks about uh, freaking Sam Darnold is our quarterback of the future. We got to build around him, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I understand, like, that's his job to say that. But it still hurts to hear 
when you know he's like completely backing Adam Gase like like that right now. We are zero and eight. Like we're easily, and and it's not like there's no discussion here. We're the worst team in football. I think even with the Cowboys playing with their fifth string quarterback and no <laughs> offensive line, that team is better than we are. We are so freaking bad that I would be so angry if we won a game because I, dude, watch any tape of Trevor Lawrence. This guy's an absolute beast. And I think he's going to be an amazing NFL quarterback. And so I understand Joe Douglas is doing his job, like, you know, being positive about what we have right now. But if the Jets have the first pick in the draft, I think it's a mistake not to take Trevor Lawrence because he's a stud. Sometimes you need uh, someone like Bill to come out and say, hey, we spent $1 million on camp. We suck. And uh, that's that's what the Jets need to do right now. Hey, guys, uh, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, that's that's on our radar. And we suck. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, yeah, I I would be really, really upset if we won a single game this year. I think our our mission and our objective this year, the goal that they need to be writing on the, the chalkboard in the, lift, in, the, in the locker room, I don't know if they still use chalkboards, but... You know, 0-16 has to be the goal because we have to be tanking for Trevor. I 100% back that one. If there's a team that's using chalkboards, it's the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> Every uh, team right now, they're using, you know, iPads and, you know, just a bunch Microsoft of Surface. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. now, you guys are playing video cassettes for tape on teams right now. <laughs> No laser pointer, uh, like a real life uh, stick, you know, like a ruler stick. Adam Gase is on uh, LimeWare on the weekends to get uh, good tracks to burn uh, DVDs for the team. That's that's what's going on at the Jets right now. All the players, they're only drinking water, no Gatorade, nothing. Just just water. They're still drinking uh, 50 cent uh, vitamin water. Somebody sent somebody some help, man. What was 50 Cent's flavor of vitamin water? Uh, was it the you triple should know X this. one? I think it's the triple X one. I don't even remember. Yeah, the, like acai flavor or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, with the black label. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, the Jets suck. That doesn't change, and that will not change for a while. So uh, I'm going to ask that, Andrew, you uh, stay away from that topic for a little bit. Let's just... Uh, <laughs> Let's just keep that away. You know, it is what it is. Hey, let's hope it they go on 16. I, I want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But put that in the universe, guys. We want that. Jets 0 and 16. Beautiful. It's a freaking, that's what we want. That's what we want. But um, anyway, moving on from the Jets. Um, you know, this, as you mentioned, this season has been a weird, weird season. A lot of weird things going on. Okay. So uh, I'm going to give you the floor a little bit here. I think that your Colts are interesting, man. But the thing is, T.Y. Hilton got his annual injury this past week. Uh, you know, you just you could just pretty much write it in stone that T.Y. Hilton's going to get hurt sometime in the season, and you guys got that now. As you know, as a Colts fan, how are you feeling about your uh, outlook on the rest of the season? Um, it, I'm not um, particularly optimistic. I am actually very surprised we're five and two. You know, mm-hmm. so I do think we're a good football team. Um, I don't want to say that we're not a good football team. I think our defense actually has to be one of the league's best, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At least top 10, maybe even top 5. Uh, we have a, a lot of young, exciting guys on defense. Uh, but yeah, I think the main concern here is offense. Um, 
and it's, it doesn't even start with Ty. To be honest, I think it's it's Philip Rivers. Uh, I know that he's played well over the last two games, but in my opinion, they're kind of empty stats. If you watch the tape, a lot of them are just kind of dump off throws or short throws um, to running backs, slant plays, and you know his his uh, complete completion percentage is really mm-hmm. high. But I mean, there's a reason for that. He's making really easy throws. Um, I don't see our offense being very dynamic. We don't throw the deep ball a lot, and um, yeah, we're not we're not a threat really in a deep deep game. So um, I'm not optimistic. I don't think our offense will necessarily win us any games. Um, our running game is looking really good. However, our running back committee is really good. Naeem Hines, uh, Jonathan Wilkins, and then the rookie Jonathan Taylor. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I can't see us winning a lot of games. Uh, based on our offense, uh, but I think we are good enough where we will be competitive every single game. We have a tough mm. four-game schedule ahead of us. Um, not in order, but we're playing the Ravens, Titans, and the Packers, um, and then the Titans again. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a real test from here. Man, I don't know. I, I, I think if I'm Chris Ballard, the GM, I have to start thinking about um, how to prepare Jacob Eason as the rookie quarterback we drafted how to prepare him um, to take up the mantle because, mm-hmm. you know, Phil is, is, he's just being a serviceable quarterback right now. Um, yeah. And I would hate to see while our defense is still good um, to, to have Phil as our quarterback. So, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's the tough part of being a GM is you got to have everything at the same time, you know? And so, yeah. so yeah, that's my outlook on the Colts. You know, I, I, I would be happy if they make the playoffs, uh, mm-hmm. But again, I'm not. I don't think we can really make a lot of noise in the playoffs. So, so yeah. I think the toughest part with like the timeline and what happened with you guys is that Andrew Luck left before you guys brought in Quentin Nelson and like really improved that offensive line. Because yeah. if he was able to play behind those guys, especially Quentin Nelson, like it does make you wonder what you know the outlook of the rest of his career would have looked like, and. Truth be told, Andrew Luck's still only, what, 30, right? I think yeah. he's my age. And so sometimes, honestly, I feel like like he should just come back and play, you know? Like, he's still so young. Because think about it. Theoretically, if Andrew Luck came back today, he could still play quarterback for, like, 10 years. Exactly. Um, yeah, Because of how young he is. And so who knows, bro? Like, what if next season he's just like, hey, you know, I've rested <laughs> enough. I took like two years off. I'm ready to come back. Three years off. I'm ready to come back. That would be really, really cool. Because, okay, because so Andrew, I want to ask you this. You mentioned Jacob Eason. Do you guys actually believe that he could be the future quarterback of the team? You know, I actually do. I actually think okay. he can be really good. Um, but, you know, he has yet to see the field. Um I'm not hearing much about him in camp, like from camp or from practice because mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett is still the backup quarterback. Right. So I feel like he's not getting as much exposure or uh, yeah, just like just playing time uh, needed. So I'm not really sure yet. I feel like everything's covered up by this Phillip Rivers new Colts quarterback kind of like headline. So I'm not sure. But I do believe in Jacob Eason. I was really glad we drafted him. I think his college mm-hmm. tape looks really good too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, also really quickly, like for me, if you ask me what is one thing the Colts need right now, I would say it's Andrew Luck. If we had Andrew Luck, yeah. I really think we would be Super Bowl contenders. And I know I might sound like a homer for doing that, but 
I really think we could compete with the Chiefs, with the Seahawks, with the Packers if we had Andrew Luck. And, you know, yeah, it really does suck. Like, we just missed the timing. Like, right when our offensive line was the best in the league, he left. And, right. you know, I would be hopeful for his return if he was, like, more of a flashy guy. You know, so maybe mm-hmm. his money runs out or something. But no, this guy, he has like a flip phone. He's not going to run out of money. He's a very wise, smart guy. He went to Stanford. You yeah. know, I would be uh, more hopeful if he was if he was like a fickle person. But I feel like Andrew Luck is a very mature guy and he's very set in his ways. And I don't think mm-hmm. this is a decision he's going to come back from. With that said, mm-hmm. though, fingers crossed. I have all 10 fingers and toes crossed right now, hoping <laughs> that he does come back. And I think that would be amazing. But... I don't know. I think with drafting Jacob Eason, we are basically kind of accepting the reality that this is this is what it's going to be, and luck is no longer with us. You know. I think we have to just hope that the itch to play comes back for him. Like you know, just like one day he wakes up and he goes like, "Damn, like I really miss playing." And as I mentioned before, he's so freaking young that it's still so possible. Like let's say like he wakes up tomorrow morning. Uh so, yeah, tomorrow morning and he goes, "I want to play again." He could take the rest of the season just to prep his body and then come back next season. And then you guys will be easily I think you guys will be super super bowl contenders because you guys will just add to the team that you have. Um uh, it'll be season 2 for Michael Pittman. I think Michael Pittman is another rookie receiver that's going to be really really good. And so who knows, man? Like I know I'm just like speaking out of my I'm talking out of my butt right now cuz there's no rumors at all, but I'm just sending that energy into the universe right now. You know, who knows? Hopefully, yeah. Andrew Luck just wakes up and he goes like, you know, I, I hear Andrew. I hear him on the Secret Weapon pod and I got to come <laughs> back and save the team. You know, that's what we got to hope for. Hey, in the perfect world, uh, Jets will go 0-16, get Trevor Lawrence. And next year, Andrew Luck will somehow make a return to Indy. Or what if in this crazy perfect world, Andrew Luck comes back and goes to the Jets? You just took my breath away. <laughs> that would, that'd be that'd be beautiful. That'd be that'd be really really good. No, but no. If Andrew Luck comes back, he's got to play with you guys. That, yeah, I think that's sure. the only way to go. Um, but it'll be interesting, man. It'll be really really interesting. I, I think, as you mentioned, you guys are man. If you could upgrade that Phil Rivers spot and have Andrew Luck there, your offense is immediately two levels better. And so that would have been really really dope. But at five and two, I guess you can't complain too much. I'm sure, you know, you guys, you said it right. You you guys are good. Uh, I would say you guys are good, not great. Um, and I guess they're, it's it's better to be good, not great, than to be, you know, 0 and 8 like the Jets. So. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, man. I'm, uh, I'm happy for you, bro. Thank you. I mean, dude, that's the thing about football, though, is like, one 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 sucky thing is like I feel like bad teams stay bad for a really long time, and you know like good teams they like the Steelers right like they're always somehow relevant like they're yeah. not gonna win the Super Bowl every year but somehow they know how to you know recover from last season or make repairs or you know add on a few names here and there and they're back in it again you know mm-hmm. and I just feel like you know there are a handful of teams like. Uh, the Jaguars are kind of like that. Um, even the Browns, you know, like as much as uh, as much as they have all that talent, like they're still not that good or competitive. And you know, it really sucks for those fans. And um, yeah, man, uh, I'm kind of sorry to say, but the Jets are kind of on that trajectory right now. But uh-huh. but we'll see, we'll see. You know, 
I have, yeah, man. Other than Trevor Lawrence, I have no hope for the Jets. But you're right, man. They, the good teams just continue to be good. They're always good. Like the Ravens. Ravens, another team. They're they're always relevant. The the Saints. They're always relevant. These teams, they they figure things out, and uh, it's tough. It is tough. This stuff. Okay, uh, before we before we wrap this up, Andrew, I, I want to ask you. I know you mentioned it kind of like in passing before, but we're halfway through the season. Gun to your head. Uh, who are the two teams playing in the Super Bowl? Um, I don't see the Chiefs losing, so I'm mm. going to say Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And dang, you know, NFC really comes down to the Packers, Seahawks, and Bucks for me. Yeah, but I'm gonna say, you know, I'm just gonna say Seahawks. I, I think Jamal Adams will make coming back will make a huge difference, and you know, Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner—they're like in their position, probably. You know, I think Bobby Wagner is the best linebacker in the league, and I think Jamal Adams has to be at least top three, right? If yeah. not top one, so um, I think that's gonna be huge for them, and I, I see the Seahawks coming back. It, it's funny how Jamal Adams is actually. You know, such a good player. It's funny. It's it seems like a good idea to have good players on your team and to keep them. You know, it's, <laughs> a, it's a weird, it's a weird phenomenon that uh, I really guess weird, some G- I guess some GMs just don't understand that one. Like, you know, you you draft a guy and he's like freaking amazing, and then you just trade him away. So it's just um, it's heartbreaking. But okay, I feel I think that's a good pick. I think for me, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on the hype train. I know I'm gonna regret it later, but I'm gonna say uh, Chiefs and Bucks. I, I think mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool to see Tom make the Super Bowl and put that in Bill's face, and then to go head to head with Pat Mahomes and then lose to Pat Mahomes. I think that'll be a pretty interesting way to end the season. That'll be a fun game for sure. Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of good names, big names in that game. A lot of points too. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Andrew, before we wrap, uh, any any uh, last words from you? Um, yeah. Um, this uh, podcast. If I had a slight lisp, uh, I apologize. <laughs> I have a canker sore, like right on Oof. the tip of my tongue. Oof. And I'm gonna tell you right now, like you could put this in writing. Mm-hmm. In life, the top three worst pains, mm-hmm. uh, canker sores have to be in there somewhere. Mm. I like hate canker right sores with passion. Yeah, like right on the tip of my tongue. So every enunciation, like, it's painful. And I hate kink disorders with a passion. It's so unfortunate. Like, I get it a lot. And I feel like a lot of the other people, they don't really get it. But mm-hmm. I get it a lot, man. And I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, but I've been putting medicine on it all day. It's not really helping. And, you know, only time can really heal it. Um I don't know why I wanted to mention that, but if there's anyone, Dude. if there's anyone out there with kinker sore problems, I mm-hmm. feel you, man. Um, stem woman. cell research, let's do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just kidding, but but yeah, that's that's my thing. Sorry if I speak a little weird today. Dude, so are you the type of person where because I've had kinker sores before on my tongue before? Are you the type of person that you like, like you're annoyed by, it, so you like press it on your teeth and like you like kind of squeeze it and like it hurts like hell? Do you do that? Is that just me? No, yeah. Why would you do that? That's so painful. That's weird. That that's weird. I don't know why I do that. I'm the type where I like grip my teeth really hard, mm-hmm. and then like borderline, I want to cry. Not because of the pain, just because mm-hmm. of how frustrated I am mm-hmm. at the kicking sword. 
Well, uh, shouts to our co-host, Andrew, for uh, making it through 50 minutes here uh, on a pod <laughs> talking about the NFL with a canker sore on his tongue. But um, a good job. Good job, man. Also, for our listeners, I, I do want to say uh, if, if the audio sounds weird this week, it's because uh, when Corey was on, we had a couple of like audio issues. And so we actually had to upload it with our Zoom audio. So the audio quality obviously isn't as great, but. Uh, once again, dude, I can't thank Corey enough for coming on with us this week. It was a, yeah, a it was freaking, really dude, <laughs> it was it was an awesome time. You know, I, I love talking to the draft with him. And Andrew, I mentioned you a lot and how you give me so much crap about being a draft nerd because I'm a Nick fan. But, um, you know, it, it's it's my life. I, I live through it every single day. So. <sighs> yeah, shout out to Corey. Thank you, Corey. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we love you guys. We thank you so much for tuning in once again. And uh, until next week, uh, and when we're back on the Secret Weapon. Secret Weapon. (laughs) Podcast. We love you guys. Peace. Bye.